Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts, so let's select a game and press start. 501st Journal, Podcast Intro In my time in the 501st, I witnessed countless tragedies. I've seen republics fall so empires can rise. I've seen alliances turn to betrayal. I've seen partnerships dissolve. And I've seen masks cover the faces of monsters. War never changes. The adversaries simply change their names. <coughs> Excuse me. LucasArts was the video game development division of Lucasfilm. As a George Lucas-owned company, they not only developed and published their own games, but also held the licensing rights to Star Wars for studios interested in making video games set in a galaxy far, far away. In the 80s and early 90s, LucasArts had taken to publishing a variety of video games, many of which were original properties. These would include adventure games such as Sam and Max, Day of the Tentacle, Monkey Island, and so on. But the decline of the adventure game genre and the sustained popularity of Star Wars led them to focus primarily on developing Star Wars games throughout the late 90s and into the 2000s. Scores of Star Wars games would be developed and published by the company in a variety of genres with varying rates of quality. One of the more beloved titles was Star Wars Battlefront, developed by the now unfortunately named Pandemic Studios and released in September of 2004 in order to coincide with a re-release of the original Star Wars trilogy on DVD. Star Wars Battlefront was so popular that the studio developed a sequel, Battlefront 2, a mere year later to coincide with the DVD release of Revenge of the Sith. In 2007, Pandemic Studios was purchased by one of the biggest names in the video game industry, Electronic Arts, also known as EA. By 2009, the studio was completely closed, resulting in 228 employees being laid off, with one of the few instances where capitalism successfully ended a pandemic. With or without pandemic, LucasArts continued to publish primarily Star Wars games until they were victims of an acquisition themselves, perhaps one of the most notable acquisitions in the 21st century. When the Walt Disney Company purchased Lucasfilm in October of 2012 for $4.05 billion. By 2013, LucasArts was shuttered, nearly all of its staff was laid off, and Disney announced it would enter an exclusive multi-year licensing agreement with one major video game studio in order to publish their flagship video games. What studio would Disney partner with? None other than Electronic Arts, the company that previously acquired and dissolved Pandemic Studios. Within the year, EA announced a reboot of the beloved Star Wars Battlefront franchise to be developed by one of their subsidiaries, DICE, known for the Battlefield and Mirror's Edge series. The first rebooted Star Wars Battlefront game released to lukewarm reviews in 2015. With praise given to the design and presentation, and criticism levied at the perceived lack of depth and content. A hollow gift with a pretty package. The sequel would launch in 2017 with even greater controversy, capitalizing on the recent yet highly unpopular trend of microtransactions and loot boxes. Paying additional real-world money in Star Wars Battlefront 2 gave players more advantages and resources than those who only paid for the base game. The intense criticism levied at EA because of this was so great that the feature was entirely removed in a future update. And though the game maintains a dedicated audience today, a great many deal players still rightfully mistrust EA as an organization. The controversial release of the 2017 Star Wars Battlefront 2 was a convergence of many of the troubling trends in the modern video game industry. Reboots that fundamentally don't understand the appeal of the original. Exploiting the name of a beloved property to generate hype placing progression behind a price tag, and testing the limits of what a corporation can get away with by exploiting an audience's nostalgia. Media that uses nostalgic imagery to put us in that state of mind can often make us more forgiving of something that is ultimately devoid of any substance. It's pandering, a hollow gift with pretty packaging. 
audiences do not deserve to be treated like children, and we as audiences shouldn't constantly pursue media that tries to make us feel like children. It is a troubling trend that is stagnating the creation of new, interesting stories. At best, it's infantilizing. At worst, it's enabling reactionary, regressive sentiments and ideologies. Nostalgia isn't an inherently bad feeling, but it can be exploited for nefarious purposes. You can't experience your childhood again. All they can do is sell you a picture that reminds you of it. To quote the fictional advertising executive Don Draper, Nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. And to quote the artist Frank Ocean, we ain't those kids no more. We'll never be those kids again. I'm Kiefer, and this is Select and Start. Hello and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have another wonderful guest with me today. She is the co-host of the wonderful movie podcast, How Have You Not Seen? Uh, it's my friend, Caroline. Caroline, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Kiefer? I'm doing I'm doing fine. <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. I don't want to get too much into it, but I'm fine. I, I, I promise I'm coming out fine at the end of it. I just have a headache. I have a headache today. It has nothing to do with this podcast whatsoever, so don't take it personally. But if I uh, if I if I seem like I'm low energy at all, please please call me out on it. I, I, I'm very <laughs> excited to have you, so I'm powering through it. Thank you, thank you. Super excited to have you on the podcast today, of course. Uh, but before we talk about this game and video games in general, please tell the audience what you do and what you like. Yeah, so um, my name is Caroline Thompson. I do uh, many many a thing. But relevant to this podcast, I would say I um, I host a, a film podcast myself. Um, it is, as you mentioned, How Have You Not Seen? Each week, my co-host and I, who's one of my best friends from college, we pick one of our favorite movies that the other one hasn't seen, and we force each other to watch them. So each week, we alternate between watching a new movie to, for, for ourselves and uh, assigning one to to our co-host. So it's, it's a really fun time. And I mean, I'm chronically on Twitter. Uh, I, I, I do some other stuff, but like, yeah, I really, I, I, I like movies. I specifically like very ridiculous movies like the Muppets and the fast and the furious. And uh, uh, those are, those are, those are my go-tos. I love James Cameron films. They are, they're all wonderful. He's, he's never, the man has never missed. Um, I'm, on, I'm on that train right now too. I'm on excellent. the way of water. I'm on the way of water. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah, no, um, I am one of I never, I never thought I was actually that big of a James Cameron stan until I like became an adult and like started talking to people whose opinions I genuinely respect. And they're like, "Ugh, I love Alien, but Aliens is so bad." And I'm like, "What? I'm sorry, what are you talking about?" I was like, "No, no, 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 no." And like, I keep having that conversation over and over. So I'm like, "Wow, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a, a bit of a stan." Yeah, it's so weird to hear people say that they don't like Aliens because. I mean, obviously, he's done the first two Terminator movies, both fantastic and completely different movies. But and I understand that there's a difference in tone between Alien and Aliens. But I don't know; they're 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 two parts of a whole to me, despite the differences. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they they are they are two very different films. But like, if you if you look at each of them and you look at what each of them is trying to do, I think both of them pull off their their respective aims pretty flawlessly. Yeah. Besides James Cameron, is there what else do you like to do? Uh, anything? video game adjacent whatsoever? Um, so yeah. So I mean, I was a huge gamer growing up. I was really into games until really about the time I went to college. And then I just really fell out. Um, I was a nerd. 
obviously. I mean, if the James Cameron and Muppets conversation <laughs> didn't cue every single listener off to that. But, um, you know, I was a... Um, I was a huge uh, gamer, which uh, up until about, let's see, when did I go to college? Like 20, the early 2010s uh, when I went away to college. And then I just really fell out of it. But so kind of the era of the game we are talking about, kind of like the PS2 original Xbox, Xbox 360, PS3, like that era of video games. It was a large part of my personality in a way that it just hasn't been um, in the last decade or so. But so I'm really excited to be to be here and talking about this. And I was really glad that you asked me to be on the show because I don't get a chance to dive into this as much as maybe I'd like to. No, I like to have a wide variety of voices on the show. I'm a big fan of your podcast and I really love the format of it. So it was just naturally occurred to me like, let me let me shoot my shot. Ask if they want to want be on the show, and you you agreed to, and that's yes. going to be a problem because I have a lot of a lot of shit I want to cover, both movies and video games. This is you know practically a stealth movie podcast. If you haven't gotten the tone from that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I've noticed. But to your point about being a gamer until you go to college, I've gotten that a lot to the point that I just want to keep an internal counter of people saying that. In your opinion, do you think that it is the Marxist liberals who run these institutions <laughs> teaching critical race theory that? beats the gamer out of people? Oh, almost certainly. Almost certainly. I mean, as soon as, so my, my, my first semester of college, um, they, uh, my, my first English professor sent me, um, all of Anita Sarkeesian's videos and said, you can't like video games and be a feminist. And so I had to, I had to quit. <laughs> okay, great. So now that that's been electroshock therapy out of you being a gamer, uh, would you agree that the gamers are the most oppressed class of people just in general? I mean, certainly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, you said it better yourself. There's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing to even add to that. It's, it's clear. Um, it's clear that, uh, the, I don't know, I was going to roll with the spit, but I truly <laughs> can't think of, I, 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 I try to stay so far away from that kind of rhetoric that I don't even think I could parrot any of it at this point. You said you were terminally online. So I'm, I'm just, I'm That's just, test, I'm, 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 I'm testing the boundaries of that. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're not even going to commit to that bit anymore. And we're just going to talk about gaming. So no community likes to gatekeep more than gamers. So we are going to have to check your gaming credentials before we move forward. Obviously you are a, a lapsed gamer, but I want to understand a bit more about your relationship with gaming, what it was like before the Marxists beat it out of you, Yeah, uh, of course. what initially got you into it, and if you engage with it at all post-Marxist college liberal education. Let's get a portrait of Caroline as a gamer real quick. Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, I think a big, you mentioned, um, like, what do I do? And I was like, well, you know, in terms of this podcast, here are some things that are relevant. Another thing I do is I run a local uh, LGBT rock climbing group uh, in my hometown, which is like super cool and fun. And I teach rock climbing on the weekends. I bring this up because I, I say to people all the time, I was like, if you found me five years ago, if you went back in time five years ago and found me and was like, in five years, you are going to be teaching rock climbing at a gym on the weekends. I would be like, no, you straight up have the wrong person. <laughs> um, I was a very unathletic kid. Um, I was a very, um, a very artistic kid, a very nerdy kid. And so I think a big part of gaming for me was it was the hobby that I could do and like get that sense of like urgency and achievement and just something that I could like invest myself in 
like when I wasn't at school, I was a very involved kid. Um, and so it was, I think it was an ADHD thing, certainly. Um, and definitely like a growing up closeted queer kid thing of just like, when I'm not at school, when I'm not overachieving, when I'm not getting the pleasure to have in classes on my report cards, um, I, you know, I always wanted to be engaged with things. I never really wanted to sit still, but I was not an athletic or coordinated or outdoorsy child. So like, I mean, I was playing video games for like as long as I can remember. Um, my earliest memory was me and my sister growing up. My dad had an NES and like, the original Super Mario Brothers is like one of the oldest memories I have. And that wasn't even at that point. I mean, I was born in 1994. So by the time I was old enough to be forming memories, like Super Mar- the original Super Mario Brothers was a decade old. And so we had the original NES. And then I was always a few generations behind on games until the GameCube. So when my cousins got an N64, we inherited the Super Nintendo, and then I got really into that. But, you know, I was seven years old. I didn't have Nintendo power. My parents weren't giving me Nintendo power. So I thought this was, like, the biggest and best thing. And then I would go over to my friend's house, and they would have the N64. Mm-hmm. And when that one, when the GameCube, Xbox, PS2 generation was coming out, and the N64 was marked down to, you know, $40 at the store. I, <laughs> I cobbled my my pennies together and, and saved up and got one. Um, and so those generations, I was always a little far behind. But then I got the GameCube and I got a subscription to Nintendo Power. And it, the rest was kind of history. Um, I played GameCube. I had a GameCube. I had an original Xbox upgraded that to the Xbox 360 and that was just the generation where I just went hog wild. All it's right. like kind of a little cringy to think back now, but it was just like probably any game, any of the AAA games that came out on the Xbox 360, I probably had at least an opinion on. Mm-hmm. Um I was very invested at that time. Up until I remember the last game that I really got and played was Halo 4. And that was my freshman year of college. And I was like, oh, this game's cool, but I have exams to study for. And I have beer to drink. I have to be at the bar until one in the morning on a Saturday. No (laughs) more more late nights playing video games for me. Right. What are you talking about? Cringe in video games. Those two are not synonymous with each other in any way. There's nothing there. No gamer has ever done anything embarrassing in their lives. Nothing in this podcast has ever even been embarrassing. Who is to... What? What is that? Don't... Don't disparage the gamers. <laughs> Continue disparaging the gamers. Anyway, but you, so it was just like sort of like busyness that sort of caught up with you. The reality mm-hmm. of being an adult setting in that sort of like moved you away from gaming. Have you, since college, been into it at all or engaged with it on any level? Hello, cat. <laughs> oh, yes. This is, this is speaking of uh, James Cameron films and speaking of the Alien franchise, this is Ripley. Her name comes from exactly where you think it does. Um, Yeah, so I do have a PlayStation 4 at the moment, and I I go back and forth. So when Resident Evil, when Resident Evil Village came out, I Mm. was seeing all of the TikToks, all of the everything about it. And actually, when you initially asked me to do this podcast, 
uh, it was the week before your Resident Evil epi- 4 episode came out, and it was already in the can. And you're like, do you want to come on the show? Is there a game? And I'm like, yes, there is. It's Resident Evil 4. That is the game. And yeah. you were just like, bad news. Already have one in the can. Um, <laughs> which is like totally fine. I forgive you. It's okay. Um, but I uh, mm-hmm. Village came out, and I was like, oh, man. I got to I gotta play that. It looks so good. And so since then, which I think that was about a year and a half, almost two years ago, almost two years ago, I think that was 2021, um, summer of 2021, I have replayed the entire Resident Evil mainline franchise, except I, I, I bought five and I tried to play it, but I never liked five. I was never mm. a huge five fan. And I tried six as well. And I five, I beat once and was like, and this wasn't really my cup of tea. Six, I have never been able to make it all the way through personally. It's it's just not what I'm looking for in a Resident Evil game. But I've played all I've now played all of the remakes. I have now played all of the, you know, seven and eight. And yeah, and I of course went back through four. Um, and I've played a few things here and there. Um, I have played kind of relevant to what we're talking about today. I played Jedi Fallen Order. I went ahead and um I I have the new Star Wars Battlefront 2 on PS4, which was f- fine. I don't love it. I don't I don't despise it, but I don't <laughs> think there's a hell of a lot there that's amazing. You know, I would say most of my gaming nowadays is either very casual or pretty like nostalgia based. Like I bought the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1, Pro Skater 2 um combo when they re- when they released that a year or two ago. Um yeah. No, yeah, fantastic. A lot of great games. Uh, a few. Uh, there's so many things I want to cover just in that space alone. Number one, uh, you are way more diplomatic about how five and six made you feel than most. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Eric sort of tore into them a little bit when we talked about it on uh, the Resident Evil 4 episode, which again, sorry, you were a little late to that one. But no, that's okay. That's okay. Going off of that Resident Evil thing, uh, what would you say your second favorite Resident Evil game is after 4? After 4? I gotta say, I I really think the remaster of the first one Hmm. is probably my favorite. And again, going back to that nostalgia thing, I had the Resident Evil remaster, the first one, on GameCube when it came out. Because I played Resident Evil 4, far too young for it, very violent game. But uh, a very engaging, a very fun, a very intense game. It was something that just like my little ADHD brain really latched onto because it was very intense. So I was like, oh my god, this game is amazing. This is the fourth one. There are three others. I got the first one. And like being like 10 years old and like not having played them originally, like trying to do the tank controls, trying to figure out those puzzles was just way beyond my pay grade as a child. So I played the first like hour and a half of Resident Evil 1. Like every six weeks I would sit down as a kid and be like, no, like I'm going to beat it. But you know, it's the kind of game where it's like if you, in my opinion, and no shade at anybody else to each their own, but in my opinion, making it through the first Resident Evil with a strategy guide is kind of like, what's the point? Like when it's that puzzle based and it's that exploratory and it's all like that much about like item management and whatnot i i I had that mindset of like if i don't do this on my own then like what's the point like i need to crack this game and i could never do it and so then as an adult like a year or two ago after playing through village and then after playing through seven i was like okay i'm going back to the beginning 
and playing the remaster. And I was finally like, like my brain functioned enough to be able to figure out these puzzles. And like looking back, a lot of them are pretty easy. A lot of them are very like kind of D&D-esque of like, you find an object and you're like, why am I finding this? And then like six traps later, you're like, oh my gosh, like I know what this is. You know, I could never, I could just never like crack the beginning of that code. And I was so used to games kind of like, you know, you're kind of like your Halos, your Halo 2s that were very linear, were very like, this is the level, go through the level, go through the mission. And so having that really open-ended thing of Resident Evil 1 was very confusing to my young brain with no guide posts whatsoever. And so then I played it again as an adult and I'm like, oh my God, this is rad. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, this is really, really fun. Like really cool puzzles, really cool like design. And I love how like, I've now found six locks, none of which I know how to open, but then I find like the right jewel and I instantly am just like, oh my God, I know which lock this opens. I need to run all the way back across the mansion and just, I don't know. So I really had the best time with one, but also seven and eight are both great. I mean, they're all great. I think, I really do think beyond five and six, I think they're all like top tier. I loved playing through every single one of them. No, yeah, it's a, it's a very consistent series bar, like that little stretch of five and six, in my experience with it, at least. I've gone back since the Resident Evil 4 episode and played more of them, and I had a great time playing Village most recently. It does feel like the happy marriage between this new style and Resident Evil 4, which is my favorite. I had a great time with uh, Village. Obviously, the 2 remake is also fantastic. I think that one would be my second favorite if I had to pick one of the remake of 2. And, you know, 3 remake is pretty good. It's just, you know, not enough of it. Not enough meat on that bone to me. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And also it's, I mean, and this is how the, they originally went too, is just like they get bigger and bigger and bigger. But three, the remake of three feels like so kind of like so far over the top. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. Like it was really fun, but I do feel like the last three hours of three were, it was a little, it was a little quick timey. It was a little like, you know, it was a little, it strayed a little too far from the puzzle based, like, almost dungeon crawler feel of one and two that's the thing like the game is so short that the ramp up feels so like sudden and Mm -hmm. you you just sort of like feel like oh i'm already in the action oriented part of this whereas two it didn't feel it it felt so organically gradual that it doesn't bother you at all and it still feels like you're still kind of barely hanging on because it seems to scale with everything going on there is the four remake coming out. Uh, I think next month, as of the time of this recording, are you at all interested in playing that? I am very interested. Um, I am forcing myself to go into it with like an open mind and an open heart because I mean, four is like my favorite game ever made. Um, like bar none. Like I have purchased that game so many times and I have <laughs> beaten it so many times that like. Literally, I have been playing through that game with other people before. And I'm like, oh, don't open that box. There's a snake in there. And they're just like, how do you know that? And I'm like, I- I've just played this game through so many times. that like, <laughs> initially, I was bummed when I found out that it was not like, that it wasn't a straight kind of remaster like the like the first one is where it's like they use the original voice recordings. They just like upscaled everything. I was really hoping for a full like, HD remake with like the new engine, but still using like the same voice performances, still using the same, all that stuff. That's just not the game they're making. 
So I'm hoping that whatever it was that I loved about four originally is kind of what they are like hoping to recapture and build upon. But like just hearing, hearing Leon, like not sound like Leon and hearing like hearing new lines of dialogue. I'm just like, Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, but I am, I am, I am choosing to be excited for it, but I also need to get a PlayStation five before. I yeah, can play it. So a, a big investment. So I hope I hope it works out for you, and that the game does become a worthwhile uh, journey for you. I'm excited. Um, I don't buy games new very often, so it's going to be a little while before I play it too. I'm I'm excited. I'm hopeful. I, I I enjoy the the new direction the series has taken, and only three has only been a little bit of a letdown. That remake of three specifically <laughs> has been a little bit a little bit little bit of a letdown. So yeah, those are my Resident Evil thoughts. Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent same. It has a it same. has a much better chance of being good than the Silent Hill two remake, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I never Silent Hill was another one that like I tried to play because people were like, if you like Resident Evil, you like Silent Hill, and that one was too hard. So, uh, as a kid, as a kid, I would love to to revisit it because I've heard nothing but incredible things. Hopefully, hopefully the the. Remake. I don't. I don't even know where I'm going with this one. I. I, I don't really have hope in Konami as a modern entity. But let's talk. Let's celebrate some games more. Are there any other games uh, coming out in the future that you would be excited to play? That's a really good question. That are coming out in the future. I honestly don't really have anything in mind. Um, because I've just been like so far out of it. Um, they always tease with a new Star Wars Battlefront, and I'm always. It always gets my hopes up. Oh, okay. I will take that back. Um, the the sequel to Fallen Order. Right. I am excited, and I'm blanking on the subtitle. It's like Jedi Fallen Order, Jedi Survivor, or something like that. Yeah, Jedi yeah, Survivor. Yeah, Jedi one. Survivor. I really, really enjoyed overall Fallen Order. Um, I thought I had some problems with it. Um, but overall, I thought the fact that like how cinematic they took it, I liked that it was so divorced from some anyone named skywalker like obviously the um, asterisk (laughs) yeah like obviously the uh the shadow of order 66 and all that fun stuff is like ever present in that game but like i i always i really enjoyed because i mean that's what everybody's been clamoring for with the disney star wars is like please just give us something that is that takes place in this universe that uh that doesn't have to explain some some minute detail of Return of the Jedi. It's like, just give us something. And I, I enjoyed that game a lot because I was like, oh, this is a fun, like, parallel story with new characters that I'm getting to know. And obviously they tie it back in in a lot of ways. But, like, I, I'm excited for, for the sequel to that. Yeah, I think the sequel looks like it's going to be really good. Obviously, I have my issues with Jedi Fallen Order 2, but I do think that the bones of it are good. So... Seeing how they refine it in the future is definitely something I'm excited for. Are there games that are out that you are curious to play or are looking forward to playing in the future just because, you know, checking things out? Oh, yeah. So the next one that is on my list, my next big project is going through The Last of Us because of the TV show. And my my beautiful co-host Carson over on How Have You Not Seen has played that game a zillion times and is currently watching the show. And every week I get a text that's just like, you have to play this and then watch the show because like, 
we make the joke all the time that like the reason we have a podcast is because we are actually just like that in real life. Like the way that we just like talk about movies and media and stuff like that on the show is, I mean, we turn it on a little bit for, you know, because there's the microphone in front of our face, but like 99% of what you hear on the show is just exactly how we talk when we're in a room together. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, I am so desperate to like, nerd out about this fucking tv show and no one he's like i don't have anybody so he's like you need to play the game and you need to watch the show and we need to get into it i've also like i've had but i don't have a a playstation 5 yet so elden ring has been on my like radar since it came out because i did play bloodborne i never finished it because Mm -hmm. I don't, I start a lot of games and don't finish them, but like I played Bloodborne when it came out and I really enjoyed it, but then I let it kind of go for too long. And now I'm just like, ah, shit, I would have to relearn that game. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, I would love to get back into it. And every so frequently I tell myself like, I need to get back into video games because it is like, I do think of it as like a fun self-care thing. Like it is a time where it's just like, no, like I don't have to, you don't have to be productive. You don't have to do anything. You can sit on your couch and do something fun for a few hours at a time and the world's not going to end. So yeah, it is. I, I enjoy it for its immersive qualities. It's kind of like I like to disappear into a world and play it and engage with a medium where I can interact with the stuff I'm doing. Uh, it is, it is partially a power fantasy, but it is just very much like I like zoning out. Um, yeah, Elden exactly. Ring was 130 hours of me just being enraptured by a world and i was able to play that every single day and get behind on every other thing i do in my life uh because of how vast and expansive and how every corner revealed something new that i could just sink my also adhd teeth into and yeah bloodborne is also a fantastic game i hope that you are able to revisit it and what was my other thing oh the last of us i enjoy the last of us it's it's a it's a good game i think you would really like it because you are pretty hard in the paint for resident evil 4 and it's very much like here is the action third person survival horror video game being brought into a different tone so yeah i'm looking forward to how have you not played the spinoff series yes yes yeah. it is that is a thing that we've talked about a lot is just like expanding the podcast is something we've talked about doing for a while specifically when it comes to video games and television because i feel like those are the two most kind of adjacent mediums to what we do i guess we could do a how have you not read but uh that would be a lot um but no (laughs) um the last of us is something that we've wanted to kind of get into for a while so honestly maybe maybe you've convinced me maybe i'll text carson and say like hey let's record an intro to the last of us and then give me six weeks and we can just like throw that episode out we'll we'll play like we'll actually play through the game it would mean so much to me if you said like hey i went on a video game podcast and now i'm going to play the last of us like this is the first time hearing of this last of us thing (laughs) yeah maybe you know what i i I will um you've heard it here first (laughs) folks he has been begging me to play this game forever so i will text him uh when we are done recording and uh See see if we don't want to get that going. Yeah, there you go. And make sure you just make sure it's, oh, this was Kiefer's idea. Carson's never mentioned this game around me once in my life. Uh-uh, no, not not once. Not one never, time. Not a single time. But no, no, I, I, I look forward to it. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Last of Us as a game and also um, the way that the show intersects and how it deviates uh, and like what each thing does within their medium that is good and where both of them 
falter because nothing's perfect, but I really enjoy the series. And hey, listen, video games, famously uncontroversial. Nothing, no discourse about them whatsoever, uh, especially The Last of Us. So I'm sure it's all going to be perfect and great. Yes. And, um, you know, famously, famously queer women on the internet famously are able to voice their opinions about video games um, and be net be met with perfectly normal responses from your from very average people who um, listen to and respect their viewpoints. So I'm really excited for that. No, mm-hmm. honestly, that might be a thing we do behind the paywall because we're currently doing the Star Wars sequel series behind the paywall. And I'm just like, listen, if you're here, if you have access to this recording, you like this thing enough that you're giving us money, I'm going to be unadulterated with my with my opinion. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll make that a Patreon thing. No, and that's the perfect segue into my next question. You co-host a movie podcast. We're talking about a game based on a massive film franchise. We've alluded to it a little bit so far, but I want a more concrete uh, perspective. What is your relationship like with Star Wars? Oh, gosh, that's a very good question. I mean, we have joked multiple times over on our show that like we are doing we're currently doing the Star Wars sequels uh, trilogy on Patreon because we did a like a six month long legacy sequel series of just like we just curated some films that we wanted to discuss because our main feed is, you know, we have a very specific format. We have a very specific, very specific criteria like each of us picks a movie that the other hasn't seen. So it really is one of those things where the criteria is very specific for our main show. So over on the Patreon, we talk about whatever the fuck we want. We just pick a movie each month. And so we try to build some series out so it's not just completely random. But we spent most of 2022 doing a legacy sequel series. Carson really wanted to do The Last Jedi as part of that. And I was like, I don't disagree, but you can't do The Last Jedi without doing The Force Awakens. And you can't do The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and not do Rise of Skywalker. And you can't do one episode on the legacy on the sequels. So we decided, okay, fuck it. Let's just do uh, January, February, March of 2023 is just the Star Wars sequels. And we joke that it is a hell of our own making because I have seen every of the main Star Wars films, the, the the nine films, other than Rise of Skywalker, which I still have only seen the one time in the theater because I obviously didn't like it very much. Um, very much same. I have seen the other ones like dozens of times, even the, the prequels. I've seen them all dozens of times. I've probably seen um, the prequels more than any of them. <laughs> honestly, ooh, I think you could really define like each kind of period of my life based on like which Star Wars trilogy I was watching more frequently because yes, growing up, I watched the the prequels so much. And then as a teen and a nerd, I watched the originals so, so, so much. And I have seen all of them probably 20 times. I joke that I know every single stupid bit of Star Wars minutia and I love it very, very, very dearly. However, the last eight years since the Force Awakens came out. I am so tired. I'm so <laughs> tired. I am so tired of every six weeks having to yell at people about Star Wars. I am so sick of seeing of seeing a bunch of fascists use Star Wars to make arguments about stupid things and me having to say why that's stupid and wrong. Um, but like overall, I love Star Wars. I know everything about these films. I am I, I am just so inundated with 
com- completely worthless minutia about Star Wars. And I love them very dearly, but also I am so, the last eight years has just made me so tired of talking about them. Yeah. No, yeah. I've been working on a, a video for months now trying to discuss my specific burnout with the Star Wars series and how um, the age of content is very much uh, destroying my relationship with a lot of media that I love just because like everything is just kind of junk food now and nothing feel as nothing feels as carefully considered. And of course, Andor is exceptional and kind of threw a wrench in a lot of my ideas about things, but it also does serve to emphasize it also just like highlights the problems with these things more, if anything, just because like we could be making great stuff like this, but we just don't. And we just like want to feed what people think that they want and just, you know, make it here's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader doing things that don't seem interesting at all because like, Hey, we can't really mess with the stuff that you actually like. And here's Boba Fett not understanding what a mayor is. I don't know. It's, it's, this is obviously like talking about our feelings about Star Wars was inevitable because it is a, a, a podcast episode about a specific Star Wars video game. But yeah, no, I totally empathize with the I'm tired of it all. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think you're right. It is just um, the con the the capital C content ification of Star Wars has really ruined so much of what makes it very special. Because I mean, even the prequels like are extremely strange and frustrating to watch and very very weird but there's so much there that you can sink your teeth into as as a star wars fan as a film enthusiast as a pop culture nut like there's so much in there because they were so just absurdly made by a person who is george lucas i love you but you are a crazy person in a way that makes them fascinating to watch in a way that just like the Disney TV shows just fail to capture any of that because you're right. It's like, they can't mess with any of the things, you know? So like Obi-Wan was very cool because I love you and McGregor in that role and seeing him be it again. Like it poked the little like dopamine receptor in my brain enough to make a little something happen. Mm-hmm. By the end of the series, I was very like discouraged because I was just like, this is kind of nothing. Yeah. Like nothing super important is happening. And and it's, you know, the my my whole my whole thing about Obi-Wan is there's the whole bit in the original Star Wars where Vader is like, oh shit, I feel this disturbance in the force that I haven't felt since, and then he trails off. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is like, I haven't felt that since before I became Darth Vader. Like, I haven't felt that in 30 years. Like, I thought this person was dead. And then you insert this knowledge of what happens in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Yeah, I haven't I haven't felt that present since he threw a bunch of rocks at me and then yeah. walked away and didn't kill me for some reason. Weird. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I, I haven't felt that presence since the last time I was surprised this guy was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the, you to your point, the prequels were batshit weird for... A completely different reason and it's just so like so far in the other direction of what disney star wars is where disney star wars feels very much made by committee and then the prequels just feel very much made by a guy who no one knew how to say no to yes you know i've had to go from that relationship to i am a child without discerning taste uh so i can just like this 
unironically without much caveats. I, I don't know. These kissing scenes in Attack of the Clones are boring, but hey, look at all the lightsabers at the end. And then coming into my teenager cynicism, just being like, these things are stupid. And then, you know, falling in love with Star Wars again with The Force Awakens and thinking like, oh, cool, Star Wars is awesome again. And then, you know, falling into like the whole like hole with they didn't think this out like it's all very made by committee and it's all a series of compromises and you're reacting too strongly to the the reception of everything and look i i i still don't love the prequels unironically don't get me wrong but at least i can like come back and respect them and i never stopped watching them whenever they were on just because it's like it's it's star wars like it's bad in a way that i can love it versus how i'm never planning on watching the rise of skywalker ever again like one is bad in a way I've made my peace with because it's been with me my entire life. One is bad and it's just like there's no reason for this to be bad. It's just bad because it is a response to a moment in time that will be forgotten. Yes, a hundred percent. And um I mean a joke that a joke that I made over on um over on our show recently is like I think I think of the Star Wars prequels like my little sister. It's like, I'm allowed to make fun of them as much as I want. But if you make fun of them, like, you're not, like, <laughs> we're going to have a problem. Like, I love these things. And yeah, they're stupid, but like, they're my stupid little thing. So. No, I, I 100% feel that. It's, it's my thing to hate. Exactly. Uh, moving away from the movies a little bit. Uh, we're talking about a Star Wars game here. But before we get into that, I want to talk about other Star Wars games because this is far from the only Star Wars video game. In fact, there are over a hundred Star Wars video games and this is already the second Star Wars themed episode that we've done. So aside from the game that we'll discuss later, what other Star Wars games do you enjoy? You've already talked about Jedi Fallen Order and how you're excited for Jedi Survivor. And you've talked a little bit about how the EA DICE uh, Battlefronts 2 that is completely unrelated to the game we're talking about today it's just kind of whatever. What other Star Wars games do you like? Growing up, I I mean, I loved the I loved Rogue Squadron on the Nintendo 64. It was uh like that game blew my mind as a kid. Um I still have a copy of it today. Um I so <laughs> I played the first two levels of <laughs> of the Super Nintendo Empire Strikes Back game a lot. Because that game was at least, again, going back to the Resident Evil thing, maybe if I tried it now as an adult, it would be very easy. But that game was so hard. (laughs) That game was so difficult as a child um, that I played the first two levels of it a lot. Um, What else? I just, I just, oh, um, also back on the Game Boy Advance, right around the time, and I'm wondering when this would have been, when they re-released the original trilogy special editions on DVD. There was like a big silver box set. The 2004 re-releases, yeah. Yes, there was also a Game Boy Advance game that came out around the same time, um, which to, to my young child mind was incredible. I It was a little platformer, and I remember thinking it was just the best thing I had ever played. Um, and then, Would it happen course- to have been called Star Wars Trilogy Apprentice of the Force? It has a gray silver box art and it was released the same day that the 2004 DVD box sets and Star Wars Battlefront 1 were released. That would almost certainly be it. Is it the one is the the art the one with Luke Skywalker holding the lightsaber up? 
Yeah, it's the silver uh, yeah. monochromatic version of that the A New Hope poster. Yeah, yes, it is. That is that is the game. Whether or not that thing is actually any good, I do not know. But I remember thinking it was incredible. And I feel like I, I'm pretty in the know about Star Wars video games, and somehow this is completely new to me. Mm, yeah, I just remember having it on the on the Game Boy and thinking it was wonderful. Um, and then I would be very remiss if I didn't talk about Lego Star Wars. Um, of course. I played the original two on um, the GameCube. And then I recently got I recently got the new one, the Skywalker Saga. And I, I didn't spend a lot of time with that one. I thought like with all of those games, the sense of humor was very, very good. And I thought it was very, very fun and clever. Um, it is definitely a game for children. Yes. <laughs> um, so it didn't like really grip me in a way that I was maybe hoping it would. But like I, I really enjoyed what I played of it, of the newest one. Yeah, it's very shallow, but it is like shallow in a way that I can still like it. Like I'm not expecting a ton out of this because it's a Lego game, but everything that it does on a base level is still competent and it's very pretty to look at. And I'd like little things that could just occupy my time in a way where it's like, oh, let me go and collect this thing and unlock as many things as possible and just like have like have that knob in my goblin brain just uh be satisfied of the whole collectathon nature of a Lego game. So it, it satisfied me on a primal level, but I do understand that it is a very shallow experience if you put a microscope to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are more. Those are the ones that are jumping out. Did you ever play uh, Knights of the Old Republic? That was another one that um, I have been meaning to play because I love, I love everything I've played by Bioware. Big fan of the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, I stand Mass Effect 1 um so hard i literally it is it is a thing that like i played that game when it came out the com the the wonky combat of mass effect one has never bothered me because that's just been a reality that i'm faced with mm -hmm. so i hear people talk about the wonky combat in that game and i'm just like i don't know what you're talking about like that's just how that game is and that game is perfect, <laughs> masterpiece and incredible um but i tried playing knights of the old republic as a young child and I didn't get it. Um, I didn't get the like the pseudo turn based, like how you kind of queue up your moves. Cause I was never a big RPG kid like that. Um, it didn't make sense to me, so I put it down. But I obviously know the legacy of that game and its sequel and have been I mean, every couple of years they talk about re re releasing it, remaking it. And so I'm just waiting for that to one day happen. It's never going to happen, I'm sorry to say. They they um Basically, the, the news that came out a few months ago is that um, there was a meeting where they were showing things off and they were just like, you have to burn this. You're going to have to start all over. I don't know what to tell you. If that does come out, it's not going to be within this half of the decade. So my advice to you is if you are curious about it and you do have a tolerance for um, jank, uh, as evidenced by your love of Mass Effect 1, a game I also like. I think you'd be able to handle it. You alluded to D&D &D earlier today, and it is very much once you have like the language of D&D &D in your head, I think the combat just makes a lot more sense because it is using the D20 third edition uh, rules for how like combat works. Like, is this going to be a hit, a miss, a critical? It doesn't tell you that in the game at all, but that's the system it's using. So I think I think you'd be fine. I think you would thrive in that environment. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've gathered now as a kid. 
because that was, you know, the original, it was original Xbox. You know, I was probably 10 years old when I first tried playing that game. I had no idea what was happening. And I was like, I am pushing X. Why is my character not swinging their lightsaber? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why does it say that? Like, why does it say that he's going to swing the lightsaber and then he's going to swing the lightsaber and then he's going to swing the lightsaber? Why isn't he just doing it Um, in a way that I could not wrap my brain around? But I now feel like I could really tear through that game and really, really dive into it because I've quite literally never heard a bad thing about that game. So, but moving on from Star Wars a little bit, I have a few more movie related questions for you, specifically about video game adaptations of movies. The game, obviously, we're talking about today is based off a film franchise, though it's not a direct adaptation of any of the specific Star Wars movies. Are there other video games based off of movies that you like? Video games based off of movies. Let me think. Um, no. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm really trying to think. Um, I can offer a few while you think. Um, yeah, because- offer me a few because I'm sure there are. But I mean, I'm obviously the one that my brain goes to is obviously Spider-Man 2 on the game. Exactly. <laughs> um, which I mean, that game was incredible. Mm-hmm. But I'm also just a big I've always uh, I, I'm a I'm a big Spider-Man fan as well. So that one was always going to we make the joke over on our show all the time. that Like if it's a movie with Spider-Man, it's at least a six out of ten. Like there's like it's and it's kind of the same thing too with a video game. But yeah, what are some other film-based games? Oh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll get into that more in a minute here. But the ones that I really like, like I love Spider-Man 2. I'm actually going to go on another podcast in the coming weeks to talk about how important Spider-Man 2 is, not just as, you know, oh, holy shit, a good video game adaptation of a movie, but also just like recontextualizing like the relate, like how that works as like Spider-Man's relationship with the environment and how that sort of like changes the trajectory of Spider-Man video games where everything's just trying to be like, what can we do to be like Spider-Man 2? And how some games successfully capture that a bit, like uh, the Insomniac 2018 Spider-Man game and mm-hmm. how lots of them sort of fail. Like um, personally to me, Web of Shadows is really not a good Spider-Man video game. Also very a product of its time. No, yeah, no, I am very hard in the paint for Spider-Man 2. And while it has definitely shown its age in the, uh, holy shit, 19 years since it's been released. Wow, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, no, I was born in 96. That game came out when I was eight. And now I'm turning 27 this year. That's much to consider. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? I'll say it. Also, from around that same period of time, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie video game was very good. And I enjoyed it quite a bit when I was a youngin. Oh, I, I don't think I ever played that one. Um, I did just think of two extremely important video uh, film film tie-in games, um, both from this era. Um, the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. There you Holy go. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> bangers, top to bottom. Not sure if they hold up nowadays, but like the nostalgia I have for them is great. And, and I mean, like I, I thought those games were so much fun. No, no. I mean, I've heard recently uh, from people that, oh, no, those games hold up a lot. And I never got to play those uh, at the time, so I never really thought anything of them. But there are people who are really about those two games. So you're not alone. There is definitely a community of people nearly 20 years later that are still all over those. Yeah, I I would say if either of those, if those hold up even like 60% and like 70% of like how I remember them being, I I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy them. They were really fun. 
All right. Uh, oh, and I've I've been playing the Nintendo 64 GoldenEye 007 game since it came out on Switch, and I'm going to be talking about it in a future episode, so I won't give my full thoughts here. But you know what? I'm enjoying that. Obviously, it's a game from 1997, and it does show its age. But you know, I, I definitely see why this was so so revolutionary at the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so wild. I was a Nintendo kid growing up, but somehow I was one of the only people alive who had a Nintendo 64, not GoldenEye 007 growing up. So being able to play through it in its entirety now, it's definitely been a, been a trip. Yeah. I, I remember that one. I mean, it was, I just remember every that's, it's funny that you say that because I remember literally every kid who had an N64 had that game or rather every kid who had an N64, their dad had that game, but yeah. <laughs> so I alluded to this a minute ago, but I want to talk a little bit more about movie games, and I have a little game for you. Uh, in your show, How Have You Not Seen, you and your co-host will play a little game before going into the main discussion. Riffs on games like Two Truths and a Lie, or matching a review to a movie, or The Rotten Tomatoes, The Price is Right. So I invented my own game for you to play, and it's called Rank and Cinephile. Are you ready to hear it? I, I am. I'm so ready. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, go on, go on. All right, so you often use Rotten Tomatoes as a basis for some of your games, but there isn't really a one-to-one equivalent for video games, which is why we're just going to go with Metacritic instead. For those less familiar, Metacritic is a review aggregation website, but unlike Rotten Tomatoes, which is a broad look at the percentage of positive critic reviews a film has received, Metacritic scores are based on the average score a piece of media gets from critics. Or if that's confusing, think of it in these terms. If a movie gets 100 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and 99% of them are a 7 out of 10 and one of them is a 4 out of 10, that would be considered a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes because it got 99 positive reviews and one negative one. But its Metacritic score would be a 70 because when you add up all those reviews and divide them, the average comes out to 69.7, which is 70 rounding up. I don't know why I thought doing math would make the explanation any better. People hate math, but the point is, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are different, but let's roll with it for this game. Obviously, Metacritic's averaging system has its own flaws because not everybody rates games on a scale of 1 to 100 and the conversions they have to make to match the format are controversial, not to mention the fact that everybody has a subjective review of rating, has a subjective view of ratings, but that's a discussion for another day. I hate numbers score so much. They're ruining how we are consuming media. Uh, Anyway, let's play a fun little game where we use that exact system. (laughs) Let's do it. Absolutely. So, Caroline. In front of me, I have five video games based off of popular films, and your job is to rank them based on their current Metacritic score. One being the game you think would have the highest Metacritic score, therefore objectively the best of them according to critic math, and five would be the game with the lowest Metacritic score. Just so you're clear what the rules and conditions are. All of these games were released on multiple platforms and may have received different scores based on what version people played, so I'm going to go with whatever version has the highest rating. Just so we're not doing technicalities. Totally, totally. You are not playing against me. I am the host and you're the guest, so it would be stacked against you if we did it in those terms. You've got to give me the full ranking. you got to tell me where you think all five games are ranked before I give you a score. You can't guess them one at a time. Okay. And the prize for this game is nothing. I'm just doing this because I think it might be fun. You ready? <laughs> no, totally. I mean, we, we play a game every episode uh, on my show and we 
tally the points across the season and the winner gets nothing our beautiful <laughs> producer just says at the end of the season who won the entire season so there's uh, a satisfaction I, in that though like yeah. this is this doesn't carry over to anything <laughs> yeah so i don't i don't mind playing for nothing because i play for nothing every week fantastic well here you go playing for nothing again so here are the five games take as much time as you need because i'll just edit it all down anyway okay the five games are X-Men Origins Wolverine. Okay. Mad Max 2015. Alien Isolation. The Thing, based off of John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. And King Kong, based off the 2005 Peter Jackson film King Kong. Uh, so I really liked the King Kong game when it came out. I'm sure I was just 10, but I actually really remember that game being a lot of fun. So let me think. Okay. So it's X-Men Origins. It was King Kong. Um, okay. The one that's really throwing me is the 2015 Mad Max game because I had no idea that existed. The rest of them I'm at least familiar with. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how, how close I'm going to be. Um, so I'm going to go. I think the highest reviewed one is going to be Alien Isolation. So I think it goes Alien Isolation, and then I have Mad Max, King Kong, The Thing, and what is the very last one? X-Men Origins Wolverine. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Okay, so I think it's Alien Isolation. I'm going to go King Kong, Mad Mm -hmm. Max, The Thing, and then X-Men Origins Mm -hmm. Wolverine. You got three out of five right. Okay, excellent. Okay, I'll take three out of five. Alien Isolation is number one. It has an 83 on Metacritic, specifically the Switch version. Number two is the King Kong video game. It has an 82 on Metacritic, so only one oh, point. Oh, wow. Off. Okay. So that yeah. game is... Okay, because I, rem- I remember really liking that game as a kid, so... Childhood taste. Validate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three is X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, the PC version holds a 79 on Metacritic. But oh, you did wow. Get, yeah, you did get number four right. Number four is John Carpenter's The Thing on PS2 and Xbox. It has a 78 on Metacritic. That is a game that actually did well and people really liked. And then Mad Max is actually number five. The PC version is the highest rated highest rated version of it, and it's a 73 on Metacritic. Okay, wow. So all of these games were generally well-reviewed. That's, that's crazy. I assumed some of them were going to be just like terrible because... Um, just because so many video game tie-ins, I mean, they they are so few and far between anymore because they are they were frequently so terrible. Yeah, I consider dipping into the the shovelware era because I mean, like especially in like the PlayStation Two, when anything could be a video game, you would think like, yeah, there's a lot of dog shit on there. But hey, I mean, the King Kong game was on the PlayStation Two, and a thing was on there, and I threw an X Men Origins Wolverine in there because. Not a lot of people like that movie, but the right, video game right. did really, really well because who doesn't want to be Wolverine? That's that's so fascinating. I I I'm I'm very surprised by that, but I'm glad I got. Hey, three mm-hmm. out of five ain't bad. If I'm rating a film three out of five, that means I liked it. So three out of five ain't bad. Do you want to do one more before we jump into the uh, main segment? Yeah, let's do it. All right, all right. So when I asked you to come on to the show. You mentioned the following games as things that you wanted to discuss. You already mentioned Resident Evil 4, uh, which we covered on the show already with the wonderful Eric Peacock of another movie podcast called Soundtracker. You mentioned Halo 3. 
Resident Evil 1 Remaster, Fable, Ocarina of Time, Elder Scrolls 4, Oblivion, Guitar Hero 2, Pokemon Gold, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So I picked five of those to figure out where they would rank on Metacritic. So I've got Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Resident Evil 4, The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, <sighs> Fable, and The Elder Scrolls 4, Oblivion. And once again, if you need me to repeat any of these, let me know. Uh, yeah, could you could you repeat those one more time for me? Absolutely. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Resident Evil 4, Zelda Ocarina of Time, Fable, and The Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion. Okay. So I think I ooh, I think it's gonna be Ocarina, Resident Evil 4, Elder Scrolls, um, and then the other two are Tony Hawk and what was it? Fable. Uh, and then Tony Hawk and then Fable. You got five out of five. Damn. All right. There you go. You won. <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, oh, man, that's that's fun because those are five of my favorite games ever. Yeah. Um, well, history has validated you. There you go. Um, Ocarina of Time, 99 on Metacritic. Uh, Resident Evil 4, 96. Elder Scrolls 4, 94. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, 92. And Fable, 85. Wow. Yeah, those are all really good games. I'm so glad Fable's that high. That is one of those games. Like, I mean, it's been a recurring theme on this episode. Where I'm like, I played it when I was like growing up, and I loved it. I don't know if it's any good. Fable's one of those ones I've always been afraid is actually maybe bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I know that the third one, which I never played, got pretty not Dunked on. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've always been afraid that the first one might be bad, but I loved that game. I loved all of those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I have the first one on steam and I just haven't gotten around to it. I probably owned it on steam for more than 10 years at this point, And I just oh haven't, it is. it's the trepidation of a gamer. We just own so many things and we don't get around to them, but, uh, happy to check it out sometime. But yeah, thank you for playing that game. I am genuinely thrilled that you got all five of those right on the second go. Yeah, me too. Me too. Wonderful. You are good at games. There you go. Um, (laughs) Look, I was a little sad that we couldn't do a game like Guitar Hero 2 because it's pretty inaccessible and requires a peripheral to play. But hey, if I ever luck into getting a copy of that, you are obviously more than welcome to return and talk about it. Yes, I I would love if you ever if you ever decide to do a Guitar Hero 2 episode. um, (laughs) But I am honestly really glad that you uh, that you brought that up as a concern because um, I know we'll talk. I know as a listener of of the pod, I know at some point we'll talk about how accessible this one is. And I had not even a hard enough time getting a hold of this one because it was it actually wasn't hard at all. But like when push came to shove, and I was like, oh, like I need to find a way to play this video game. I (laughs) am. Like a pretty accessible one too. I I had a little bit of it. It took an amount of effort, so I was like, "Oh man, if I if I wanted to play uh, Guitar Hero two, like I don't even know how I would go about that." I'm excited to talk about with this a little bit more, but for now, uh, we are going to discuss the game that we ultimately settled on, a game that is part of a massive franchise with over 100 video games alone. A game that stands out among many fans as one of the very best games out of that massive pile. And it's a game that means a great deal to you and me. It's Star Wars Battlefront 2, specifically the 2005 one. Star Wars Battlefront 2 was developed by Pandemic Studios, known at the time for developing titles like Destroy All Humans. 
Pandemic was acquired by EA in 2008 and dissolved in November of 2009, resulting in the laying off of 228 employees. Bleak. Uh, the game was published by LucasArts, which was shuttered by Disney after the acquisition of Lucasfilm in December of 2012. Bleak. The game was directed by Eric Gewertz, with most of the game's music coming from John Williams' fantastic score from the Star Wars films. Shout out to the sound design team led by Andrew Cheney for their work in giving this game the authentic Star Wars sound. The game sounds super Star Warsy, satisfying laser sounds, beeps, droid noises, constantly assaulting your ears, but in a good way. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 was released on November 1st, 2005. Other notable games released in 2005 include Destroy All Humans, which once again was also developed by Pandemic Studios, Battlefield 2, God of War, Shadow of the Colossus, Lego Star Wars, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars Republic Commando, Guitar Hero, and two games previously discussed on the show, Pokemon Emerald and Resident Evil 4. So I think 2005 is our most covered year of the show so far. But hey, uh, great year for games, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so many of those are so good. Oh, you bring up Destroy All Humans. I loved that game. The first <laughs> one specifically. No, yeah, I never actually got to play that one. It was good, though. I mean, it again, uh, as a and, and I think one of the reasons why 2005 is such a covered year um, for this show is because like if you're interviewing people who are like in their late 20s, like we were all like, we were all 10 to 13 years old in 2005. So mm -hmm. we, uh, we have a great affinity for that. But I, I mean, I thought Destroy All Humans was super, super, super fun. And um, I thought the sense of humor was really, really great in it too. All right. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, no, I did play most of these games though. Like Shadow of the Colossus, one of my favorite games ever. Obviously I played the Lego Star Wars video game and the episode three Revenge of the Sith video game. Mm -hmm. uh, Republic Commando is currently on my computer and everybody played Guitar Hero. Yeah. Great crop a year. Like I have to like get new games to talk about every time I bring up 2005 just because it was so good. In such a good year, what ultimately made you settle on Star Wars Battlefront 2? Well, so as is kind of been the theme of a lot of what I've talked about it is so nostalgia based my like love for games and so I was just kind of thinking like that's why I gravitated towards Resident Evil 4 um at first it's one of the reasons I threw out Guitar Hero 2 because that was like that is just one of the first games I remember every single person I know every weekend you went over to somebody's house and you played a Guitar Hero it doesn't matter who you were it doesn't matter how much you played video games it didn't matter like what your gender was Every single kid went over and played Guitar Hero 2. And when we kind of rolled that one, I was like, oh, we can't really do that. I was like, well, what is another just like groundbreaking, monumental, like playing this game for the first time and just being like, holy shit, this changes everything. And this game really sticks out as one of those for me. Um, I just, I have so many fond memories of just like, you know, I was playing through it a little bit um, in preparation for this podcast and I went to the instant action screen and I just, you can scroll down and just hit add every single map to a playlist and just play through every single map with no stopping. <laughs> and it is, one of those things that like I remember doing that if you had more than four kids at the house at the time, you would just you would just rotate every every new map. You would just pass the controller one to the one to the left or whatever it was. And like I remembered like playing through the entire playlist 
and just letting it start back up at the top. Because by the time you played through all 20 or so maps, you're like, oh yeah, I haven't played on Mos Eisley in a minute. Like, let's go back to Mos Eisley. Like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, so many maps and not even just like one game mode either. Like you could do Conquest, which is the capturing the command post stuff. That's obviously like the staple of the series. We've captured a command post. But you had capture the flag and not just like regular capture the flag, but you could do like one flag capture the flag or two flag capture the flag. You had the space battles if you didn't want to do the infantry stuff on the land levels. Oh, God. And then the hero mode on um, the Moss Eisley Cantina where you're just playing yes. as Jedi and Sith and mercenaries and stuff like God, that's so good. Oh, and hunt where like it's the indigenous species versus like the empire or whatever on the planet. God, there's so much to that game. Yes, there really is. One thing that makes this game stand out so much is I had forgotten entirely that there was a quote-unquote campaign to this mm-hmm. game. And I I booted it up a little bit as we were like as I was getting ready in the last couple of days to like come on the show. And I was like, oh, this is why I forgot about it, because it's pretty forgettable. Anyway, like I spent so many hours just playing, just diving into this game, playing the same maps over and over and over with friends. Because it is just such a good multiplayer game and it is such a good like group game. And I mean, who doesn't like the back of the box, the back of the like the art on the back of the box is literally like play every battle from Star Wars any way you want or whatever it is. <laughs> and like it sounds like kind of cliche and it sounds kind of like bullshit markety, but like who doesn't want that? Like who doesn't want to just like play every single moment of Star Wars? No, you're right. I mean, it is very much like fan servicey but it is the kind of thing where it's like but it works like this was the perfect time to release this game obviously the clone war stuff was a huge emphasis on the uh aesthetic of the series at that time because it was smack dab at the end of the prequels with uh, revenge of the sith coming out in 2005 it had that intersection where it's like we're also appealing to the uh classic og fans by including the um original trilogy galactic civil war stuff too Mm -hmm. and it just does a great job bridging the sensibilities of both eras and also like giving like, like the little bit of context you might need to sort of bridge the gap in those 20 years uh, in the, you know, small campaign, uh, those few missions that do cover the area between episode three and episode four. Uh, there's just so much to it. This game's really good. This game's really good. Yeah. And I think like part of it, too, is just the simplicity. One of the things that makes this game so memorable is like, yeah, each map is a little bit different. All of the maps have different arenas and and whatnot, but it is just that thing where it's like, it's really fun, fast paced, simple gameplay. This is a game that you like genuinely can be good at, like, but it's not a, it's not, uh, you know, I was, and I was just listening to your, um, I was just listening to your episode on Tekken 2 with, uh, with a friend, uh, with Twitter friend Jane Altoids. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's not a game where you have to sit down and master 20 button combinations or all of these crazy strategies. It is a game that if you are familiar with like a two, uh, like a two analog stick shooter, you can really quote unquote master this game in about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's just really intense, fast paced action that translates from map to map um, that you can just really get lost in with your friends. And I think that's something that's really important. I am waiting for any Star Wars game to give me the feeling that this game gave me playing on Hoth. Like, genuinely. Oh my gosh, yes. 
every Star Wars game has a Hoth level. That is just compulsory. This game has the best one. I can I can say that the I like we're barely into the episode already, and I can just say like this is the best Hoth. You can't you can't beat this Hoth. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it is just that thing too of it doesn't make it any more sprawling than it needs to be. But you have a rather large open battlefield, and then you have the catacombs. Like, you know, you have the little, like, tight, cramped hallways in the base, and nothing is fucking scarier. I have played Resident Evil 4 a hundred (laughs) times. Nothing in video game history is scarier than when you are playing as a lowly rebel in the in the back hallways of hoth and your friend walks in as darth vader <laughs> you're toast like you're just absolutely toast darth vader has entered the battle try to stay out of his way if the uh, gameplay hasn't been made obvious by the way we're talking about it this is a third person primarily war shooter it is parallel to the battlefield series in terms of like how much is going on at the screen at once this isn't like call of duty where it's like a few people versus a few people no this is all out war even if you have all four player characters on a map or if you have like 16 people playing on a map in an online mode you still have a bunch of computers that are just going to be running out into the field waiting to be shot at it is all-out war in the best way. The the scope and scale of this game and the way that it's represented these like massive battles in this sci-fi fantasy series, it's incredible. And it's not in like a, a war is hell kind of way, but in just like a war is so big kind of way. And this is the first, this is one of those few Star Wars games that makes Star Wars feel as big as as it would be to really experience it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree. And I think to that point part of the importance of this game is you know um i've played plenty of online arena based shooters in my day you know you play a, a a call of duty game nowadays where it's what is it i think it's up to like 18 versus 18 i think nowadays and it's like you know you can be walking around and you can see off in the distance like 20 people shooting at each other, 20 people shooting at each other, like going insane. And then one stray bullet from you don't even, from God knows where hits you in the head and you're, you're toast and you're dead. Where like this game, like you have to be riddled with enough lasers that you actually get to survive for a pretty long period of time. But Mm -hmm. it is that massive scale that you can see all of this stuff going on that like, it makes you feel like you are in Star Wars in a way that the Star Wars films are so big, but, you never feel like Luke Skywalker is going to die. You know, you feel like Luke Skywalker might get into a scrape. Mm-hmm. Like you look at Hoth and he's like flying around and he like is, you know, you you feel like his, his little snow speeder might get shot down, mm-hmm. but like, you're not going to see Luke Skywalker get his head blown off, you know? And like his little snow speeder gets shot down. So what does he do? He zoots on up to the, to the, uh, to the belly of the ATAT and cuts it open with a lightsaber and, and, you know, takes the guys out and has a cool hero thing. And that's like what this game kind of hits at is it doesn't feel the violence doesn't feel scary. It feels very arcadey, but the scale of it is so big that it still feels like you're in a star Wars movie. Yeah. Imagine how horrifying it would be to be in star Wars and not be a main character. And that's this game. <laughs> it is yeah. 
these are the people who actually do die in Star Wars. And you're going to die over and over again because it's an arcadey shooting type game. And what happens when you die? You just pick the, another character and you're a new guy and you're running out there to go get killed again. But hopefully you'll take a few people down with you. Exactly. And that's the thing that I think is really nice about it. Because you said there's, even if you're playing with however many uh, fellow players, there's always going to be computers, like computer characters running around. And I think the fact that like, if you're even remotely good at this game, like I hadn't played this game in years and I, I picked it up and my first match back was just on the PlayStation 2, like against computers, just me playing by myself. It was something like, you know, I got, uh, I, I think I had like 25, 26 ish kills and like four deaths you know, because I was just playing against computers and it's like, it's running around, it's fast paced, you don't want to blow up, but like, you know, it isn't white knuckling in that way. And I, so I think it's very beginner friendly. I think it's very addicting. It is. It absolutely is. This is probably one of the most played games in terms of like pure play time I've had. I've gone through multiple phases with this game. There was that first phase I went through playing it when it first came out and I was playing with my older and younger brother basically every day. There was a normal regular controller and then we had like one of those third party controllers, but we didn't care that it was a cheapo like $20 controller because it was um, a Jedi and Sith uh, glowing PlayStation 2 controller. One being like one that glows blue when you plug it in and another one that glows red when you plug it in. So we would be using those controllers while playing Star Wars Battlefront 2. And God, if you're nine years old, just all about Star Wars. There cannot be a better experience than that. That is the coolest shit in the world. And 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 I think it's so funny that like nowadays, and I don't know, like do they even make third party controllers anymore? I do I couldn't tell you. Yeah, but, but it's less it's less part of like the 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 culture now because I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it is a, a phenomenon still, but I'm an adult and just don't observe what right, parents you just know for their not kids. to buy them. Yeah. God, I just remember being a kid and like always wanting the third party controllers because they were see-through and there were led lights and they had grips on the side and then i remember being like 16 like you know i remember being young and always fighting over who got to use it and then i remember being like 16 and somebody be like oh here's your controller and i'm like really you're making me your friend your guest play with a third party controller like, that's kind of rude of you um yeah no i mean because we we use that controller for other video games too and Another game I had on PlayStation 2 was Sonic Heroes, and Sonic Heroes is already janky enough playing it on a normal controller, but those buttons wore out very quickly on those uh, third-party controllers, and God, if it wasn't a nightmare. Yeah. We'll talk more about how awesome this game is in a second, but um, I do want to get into uh, a segment that we do on every episode of the show, one that you alluded to earlier, where we talk about game preservation and how available a game is. So we're going to jump right into the regular segment, No Country for Old Games. Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? 
Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice. Video game preservation means a great deal to me. And one of the goals of this podcast is to bring attention to the issue of making older games readily available for those who wish to play them. Games like Star Wars Battlefront 2, 2005, mean a great deal to people, not just you and me, Caroline. I believe they should be archived and preserved for all of time. And this is the part of the show where I rate a game's, availab- rate a game's availability on a scale of A to ARG and Arg is obviously an expression of frustration at the lack of a game's availability and is in no way me advocating for piracy. That's illegal. But yeah, before we break down how available this game is, Caroline, you talked about the um, the journey that you had acquiring this game. So please tell me how you played this game for this podcast. Yeah, so I um, looked it up and I, I listened and this is before i listened to um your very very well researched and well considered episode on the breakdowns of the different playstation plus um tiers um <laughs> which i got to say i i was very very impressed by uh by your work there because you know over on my show we uh one of us is doing a first watch every week so part of the um part of the experience is just completely talking off the dome and just like (laughs) we don't have to prep anything we've never seen this movie before we just get to talk about like what it was like watching it and like i was very impressed by that episode um just by how like well researched and like planned out your entire thing was but so before listening to that i was like well it's a popular game it's probably out there right and you can't get it on ps4 bummer (laughs) um so i did buy it on steam for like 10 bucks it was very cheap very readily available but i am not a pc gamer i know drag me in the comments drag me in the chat all you want um but like i'm a console gamer because i like sitting on my couch with something in my hands and zoning out while looking at a tv and so i got it on steam and i was just missing that like i want to be sitting on a couch leaning forward at a giant screen tv playing star wars battlefront And so I went on Facebook, a website I use very infrequently, Mm -hmm. and I just made my Facebook status. I just posted a a post that I was like, this is going to sound really weird, but does anybody have a console with Star Wars Battlefront 2 from 2005, so either a PlayStation 2 or an Xbox, Mm -hmm. that I can borrow for like a minute? And I had like three different people be like, yeah, like, yeah, I I have that. And so uh, a guy I used to work with, who I honestly haven't talked to in a couple years, like, nothing against him, we just don't work together anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a big gamer, and he just had it. And so and he lives pretty close to me. He lives like just down the road. He was like, Yeah, I have a PlayStation 2. And Star Wars Battlefront 2. Did that work? And I was like, Yeah, can I borrow it for like a week? So I got to play it on the PS2. The way I believe God intended it to be played. Just like the simulation. Actually, my experience with it was on the original Xbox. That's how I really think God intended it to be played. But sure. You know, beggars can't be choosers. Facebook beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> the Facebook is definitely the beggars and choosers of social media. First of all, wow, you you did so much. And part of me feels guilty and part of me 
most of me feels just super grateful and thrilled that you did that because God, I mean, one, you got to play the game the way I got to play it on the PlayStation 2 when I was a kid, but also just the, the effort that you went through to get that. It really touches my heart. It really means a lot that you did all that. So thank you. Oh yeah, and and no, by all means, like do not do not feel guilty. I, I chose this game because I love it and wanted an excuse to play it again. And I mean, like, let's be real. Like, I I, I thought about going on eBay and just buying, you know, just buying an original Xbox and a copy of Battlefront 2. It wouldn't have been that hard. I honestly probably could have driven the 10 minutes to my local used game store. This game was so popular, I'm sure I could have got an original Xbox and a copy of this probably very, very easily. But I was just like, I don't really have room in my house for another, for another media thing. And if it's just to play battlefront for a week, I get, let's see if I can borrow it before I commit to, to buying a whole, a whole retro console. Again, thank you for doing all that. You didn't have to do all that. No, nobody. I, I definitely didn't expect you to have to replay the game, but thank you for doing it because oh, I love course. that story. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Well, just so from my experience, this game is pretty accessible if you if you if you need to pick it up somewhere. Yeah. Um, here's what I uh, found out uh, doing the research for this episode. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 was originally released in 2005 for the PlayStation 2, Xbox and PC with a PSP version also developed. It was the fourth best-selling game in America that year, and the sixth best worldwide. Uh, the game sold over 6 million units by 2007, and as of this recording, there is no legal way to play the PSP or PS2 versions of the game on current-gen hardware. However, the Xbox version of this game is still backwards compatible on current-generation Xbox hardware. I always hate to hand it to Microsoft, but their, their gaming division clearly understands the importance of keeping these games readily playable across generations. Uh, if you have a, if you have an Xbox copy of <laughs> Battlefront 2, you can play it on Xbox. You can play it on an Xbox One. And you can play it on the 360... Sorry, you can play it on Xbox. You can play it on the Xbox 360. You can play it on the Xbox One. And you can play it on the Xbox Series X. That is incredible. Yeah, you can just put the disc in there and boom, it'll turn on. And you can also buy these games digitally on the Microsoft Store. Online play is not enabled on this version, but you can still do local multiplayer up to four players. There's also the PC version, which does still have online multiplayer. Uh, it can still be purchased on digital storefronts such as Steam and GOG. Uh, official support for online play originally ceased in 2014, but online multiplayer has been re-enabled as of October of 2017, one month before the 2017 game also titled Star Wars Battlefront 2, developed by DICE, launched. The online multiplayer still works. I checked. I had to make sure, but a few hours before this episode recorded, I went opened it up real quick. And yes, there are still dedicated PC servers, uh, and it is pretty intense in there uh, if you find a human player. But yeah, no, there is. There are still people playing on that thing. That's so cool. That makes yeah. me so happy. <laughs> yeah, people people love this game, and it's un understandable why. Uh, it's not something you can play on PlayStation or Nintendo consoles, but it is readily available on Xbox and PC, labeled as Battlefront 2 Classic, so as not to be mistaken for the 2017 DICE version. So while I may not be able to give it an A, it is at least a game that somewhat passes because, like you said, you pay $10 to be able to play the game on Steam, and while it was not the ideal version for you specifically... Uh, it is a way for you to play the game. And it isn't an inauthentic way of playing it. I've been using the Steam version 
for years and years now. And hey, it's serviceable. I do agree with you that there is nothing quite like playing a video game on your couch with a controller in your hand. Uh, I find most PC gaming uh, to be a means to an end uh, just because like I need a better gamer chair. I'm sitting in a regular old office chair and this desk is where I do my nine to five work. And that doesn't feel like where I should be playing a video game. Correct. A hundred percent. But PC gaming is perfectly valid. And I do envy the people who are able to play it as immersively as they would be able to play a console game. But yeah, no, it's good. You can find this game in its original glory somewhere because it's an incredible game. It holds an 84 on Metacritic and sold over 6 million copies. But we're not here to reduce the legacy of Star Wars Battlefront 2 classic to a series of numbers. We're here to discuss what it means to someone who played it. So let's get into it, Caroline. You ready? Oh, yeah. All right. So question I always ask everybody who comes onto the show, what is something you like about Battlefront 2 that you wish more games would do? Oh, okay. Great. I was wondering if I should uh, like mention this earlier when we were kind of talking about Fallen Order and uh, versus uh, Force Unleashed. And a thing that this game gets really, 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 really right is how should a player play as a Jedi? And a thing that I think this game nails, which I, I I always was frustrated with as a kid, but now that I'm older and I've played more Star Wars games, I'm like, no, it's brilliant, is how sparingly they let you play as a Jedi, because the Jedi should be as OP as they are in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, you should be able to run around with a lightsaber and hack down, like, 40 people before, like, you get hit once. But that cannot sustain an entire video game. That was kind of the problem that Force Unleashed ran into, is if you are the most powerful being in the galaxy that isn't Darth Vader, how do you make that game challenging and fun and interesting? I think that Fallen Order finds a better balance with that because it's just as much about like exploration and journeying and platforming as it is about hacking people to bits with a lightsaber. That is something that I love about this game you feel as powerful as a Jedi as you should, but it never gets boring because it doles it out as a reward for playing the game well. Exactly. It is a, it is a privilege, like it is a reward to play as a hero in this game. And that could be a Jedi, it could be a Sith, it could be Boba Fett, Han Solo, Princess yes. Leia. It's it's a genuine thrill to be like, you've earned the the requisite amount of points and done well enough in this game that you have the honor of playing as the hero, the main character uh, in this story versus just like one of the bodies that's soon to hit the floor. Yes. I don't know exactly how other games, other Star Wars games could capture that, but like, I, I do think that just that awareness of like, if we let a player just be a Jedi on the battlefield, it's going to get really boring really fast. And just having that thought because there's a version of this game, you know, you can you can imagine a version of this game where it's like once you've racked up, you know, 15 kills, you can just play as the Jedi for the rest of the match. And that game is like broken. You know, mm-hmm. that game just doesn't work. So just that thoughtfulness of like how how do we allow the characters to or the players to get that amazing Jedi power fantasy that everybody wants without it growing stale and coming up with a really simple solution to that is something that I do think more games should do more of. 
Old man Kenobi has wandered onto the battlefield. Help him off. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. And the way that the the heroes work, like normally when you are playing as a soldier, you have like a health meter. And if you kill enemies on the field, they may drop a health pack or you can go to a medical droid and you can heal up that way. But if you play as a hero character, your health bar becomes a lightsaber. And it's basically a timer that goes down if you do not kill enemies. And it goes back up if you do kill enemies on the field. And obviously, you still take damage normally. So you can't just run around and kill people willy-nilly. You actually have to be careful and not let people like shoot you in the back while you're focusing on another task. It's good. It is a way to try and balance that. Like, look, you can't be invincible but you also have to kill as many people as possible. You have to be part of the action. Otherwise, your character won't be on the field long. So it's just, it's great how they manage that. Oh, yeah. Kenobi has fled the field of battle. A coward to the end. It is so great every time that thing pops up at the bottom of the screen. It's just like, do you want to play as Darth Maul? You're like, yes, of course I do. And even, you know, when it's like, it's like, it's like, do you want to play as Boba Fett? It's like, yep. And it, it it feels like you've really done something really, really incredible. Don't mind if I do. Yeah. Just being on Kashyyyk and uh, being able to play as Yoda and then oh my gosh, yes. rushing right into the water and your head is completely submerged and you're just like going across that sea and then emerging on the other side of the beach, <laughs> like just slashing droids on the far end of the screen. It's great. I, there's no video games are so good. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, and it is so funny how all of the Jedi work fairly similarly, but they give them the animation, like their own animations, like the Darth Maul versus the Yoda, how it's just like, okay, you push, you know, you push R1 and you slash with your lightsaber. But like the way that they just make those guys do black backflips, <laughs> like the entire time, um, yeah really gives you that sense of and like if you really kind of break it down like yeah Darth Vader slower and lumbers a little bit more uh there there are differences in playing as the different characters with the lightsabers obviously but like overall it's the same mechanic but they just it really feels like the way they animate the characters it really feels like you are actually playing as that person in a way that i think the newer ea dice battlefront games they kind of copy it, you know, almost out of a sense of uh, obligation, but like it doesn't have that same like visceral, like, holy shit, I'm playing with Yoda and he's doing the backflips that he does in, in Attack of the Clones. No, the beauty of this older Battlefront 2 is that it is a little, they're a little too strong in a good way. The thing with like DICE Battlefront 2 game is that it has to like focus on the online mechanic to sustain uh, the longevity of the series and like being able to get money out of people. And you can't just like have a completely busted ass hero reward. You can still unlock the hero and play as them, but obviously the means to unlock them is completely fucked up too, because you have to rack up a certain amount of star points or whatever. And then you spend those star points on the ability to play as the hero. And then the hero isn't super OP the way that they are. Like the best way I can compare it, right. Is um in Star Wars Battlefront two. Your character has like the acrobatic super jumps that you can use like your little uh, stamina bar to like just keep jumping in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. There are points where if you get on high enough elevation on a map and say like Camino or Moss Eisley or something like that, you can just like jump until you're basically hitting the skybox. 
and then like you fall down and you're not going to really take fall damage. You're going to like stumble a little bit while you recover and you're like, all right, back to like running 80 miles per hour in another direction. And that's great. It is so fun. <laughs> it, it is. And then like in the dice games, your character can barely go above like a brisk run uh, and everybody like on this map, like 64 people are just blasting your ass at once and you're just going to sort of stumble over and fall if you're not like a high level player. So being able to play as a, a hero is like so short lived. It's, it's, it's a completely different experience. Nothing compares. The, the, the joy of the older Battlefront 2 is how busted <laughs> the heroes are on a level. That's that is the joy of it. You know, if you are playing with your friends, let, let, let's say you get four, you get four friends crowded around an Xbox and you go 2v2, both teams are going to unlock a hero at some point. Like, the balance is kind of built in, in that, like, yeah, I'm going to play as Darth Vader, but then you're going to be Luke Skywalker. And then we'll, like, kill each other and it'll be fine. Yeah. Where, like, the, yeah, the the new ones, it's like they have to balance them as, like, well, this is, like, uh, yeah, they're very, they're a little more powerful than, like, your average player. But, like, it still has to be a player character. And it's not fun. It's, like, I remember playing the Battlefront 2 on PlayStation 4 and being kind of, like, it's kind of not fun to play as Luke Skywalker. Like it, it almost feels like a, it almost feels like jury duty. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like I'm playing online with like 30 other people. And like one of them can't be Luke Skywalker. Like I'm okay. Like I'm, I'm just sniping from my little Ridge. Like there's a lot of pressure on you to perform extraordinarily well, because like there can only be one hero on the field at a time. And it's scary because like, yeah, not only are you like pressure to perform for your team, but like suddenly it's on site. If anybody sees you and you're not, again, you're not particularly strong. Like it's kind of scary when Darth Vader like sneaks up behind you and slashes you, but it's not like, oh God, uh, Luke Skywalker is jumping from 50 feet up in the air and oh God, he can throw his lightsaber like 200 feet across the map. Right. And, and when it's, um, you as Darth Vader in a hangar full of 16 enemy players, like they're just going to start spamming grenades at you and they're going to throw everything they've got at you. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's you as Darth Vader in a room with your one friend who's on the couch with you and 15 computer AI bots, you are going to wipe all of them out and your friend is going to be mildly frustrated and it won't really turn the tide of the, um, of the score of the game because you know, the, the reinforcement system in the 2005 battlefront is, you know, it's, these matches go on for a while. You wiping out a room of 10 people isn't going to, it's going to help you obviously, but it's not going to like completely turn the tide of battle. Mm -hmm. And you just get to make fun of your friend and be like, I killed you and all your little guys. And now you're dead and I'm still Darth Vader and like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. The battles in uh, this new battlefront, they're way longer. This is like the, the, the sword that it lives and dies by is that it is a very good simulator of star Wars. These newer games. I, I shouted out the sound design of the classic Battlefront game, the the, the mm -hmm. one we're talking about today, and it does that great. And I maintain that it is like great at like replicating the sound of Star Wars. But I got to give it up to the Dice people for like creating a game that is like a good simulation of what it would be like to actually be boots on the ground in a Star Wars battlefield, for better and worse, because it is cool. Like all the sounds are there, the visuals are impeccable. But the game isn't super fun to play, like doing the tasks, the similar tasks that you would do in classic Battlefront versus new Battlefront. They almost feel like chores because 
you're more likely to die way quicker. You don't get like the, the, the same kind of like satisfaction of like the frenzy kill streak stuff that you get in classic battlefront where you're like radiating an aura and like getting like better, uh, things on the ground of corpses and picking them up and reloading your ammo or reloading your health with a back to tank or something like that. Everything takes longer in new battlefront because it's trying to be a realistic simulator of like, well, if this was actually in star Wars, how many blaster bolts would it actually take to kill Lando Calrissian or Luke Skywalker? Right. And I think, I think a thing that this game really gets that the newer ones don't necessarily is that like, I have never heard somebody get excited about anything in star Wars because of how realistic it is. And in fact, one of the, uh, one of the more, one of the easier things to make fun of star Wars nerds about is when they try to boil these things down to science and they're like, well, objectively speaking, if like, if Darth Vader was in a fight with like six rancors, like, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, that's, the dumb nerdy bullshit that like nobody cares about like nobody watches these movies or plays these games to get a sense of realism we do it because it's cool as hell and so that's the thing with the 2005 game in my opinion is that like it captures that like extremely fast paced like really fun over the top oh my god so much is happening of a star wars battle in a way that like i don't want a realistic simulator like if somebody does great for them but it's just like it's like i don't watch the battle of hoth and think oh i'm enjoying this because this is what it would look like if you know some spaceships were going at each other on an ice planet i watch the battle of hoth because lots of cars go vroom vroom and they shoot each other with lasers and the john williams score is really (laughs) loud and bombastic and it's a lot of fun yeah, I think this is I think you're getting at a point uh, of what the difference between these two versions of Battlefront are. And I think it's that the older Battlefront games is like what Star Wars feels like as a kid, like the the fantasy of all of like the the being a Jedi in the moment and like the joy of experiencing Star Wars in an interactive setting, whereas the newer games feel like how things feel like as an adult, like in the old games, it's kind of like, hey, kid you want to be Darth Maul and you're just like, Oh boy, do I? And it's like, yay, I get to be Darth Maul. The way that the the system works in battlefront too. It's like, Hey kid, you can pay to be Darth Maul. Now that you've got the requisite number of points, here is the menu where you can go and buy the Darth Maul play ability. Good luck. And it's kind of like, okay, that, that feels less like cool instead of like being like, that random spontaneity of childhood where it's like the menu is like saying like, Hey, you're in the middle of something right now, but do you want to be Darth Maul instead of like (laughs) opening up a menu and clicking the, I want to be Darth Maul button in battlefront after doing a good enough number of your good boy chores. I don't know. It's like the spontaneity of like the game rewarding you for doing those tasks instead of like, I have to go and manually do this stuff and the tasks in battlefront to the new one with the dice ones, they are a lot more, they're just less engaging because, like, everything is too grounded. Darth Maul? What's he gonna do? Bleed all over us? Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And, I mean, I think part of it, too. And, I mean, part of it is just modern online gaming with microtransactions and, you know, old woman shakes fists at cloud, you know. Um, but it is that thing of the, the grind of modern online games was not a thing in 2005. Mm-mm. And I think that Battlefront 2, the dice one, exists to make a modern video game out of Star Wars, where Star Wars 
Battlefront 2, the 2005 one by Pandemic, is, okay, we've all seen Star Wars. We all know what it feels like to watch a Star Wars movie. Can I convert that into being a video game? Mm -hmm. Can we figure out, can our designers figure out what that essence is? And can we make a video game that feels like that? As opposed to, can we make another online big team battle shooter except the skin is Star Wars and sound design is Star Wars. And like, we'll do some nods to the old game, but yeah, like with the heroes and whatnot. But no, it's like, you've got to get, you've got to grind. You've got to get your points. You've got to open your loot crates, like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. The loot crates and the leveling up and like the little like customizations and loadouts that you can put on your character. I hate that so much. Like, again, it just feels more like the adult nature of life versus like the kitty thing where it's like in 2005 star wars battlefront 2 the classic one you have like x number of like classes you can choose from and then that's the loadout and off you go go kill as many people as you want to with a shotgun or a sniper rifle or a a rocket launcher and then like you can unlock two extra classes after you kill a certain number of people and then in like star wars battlefront 2 the dice one it's like all right the battle passes that you got grant you a certain level of customizability going into this match what guns and loadout do you want to choose what uh which of these like classes do you want to choose and you have to pay a certain amount of like in game currency to be able to play as this character or this character and then yeah yeah if you save up enough of those points in this match then you can go and pick the the darth maul button and it's like this is too much this is too much in star wars classic battlefront 2 you pick a class, you run out, you die. All right, pick a new class now. Do you want the one with the rocket launcher or do you want the one with the machine gun? And it's like, okay, cool. That's it. That's it. In Battlefront 2, it's like, listen, we want you to keep playing this game for days and months and possibly even years. And here's just a bunch of shit flashing at you in the screen to like make you level up and get the cooler stuff you want sooner. And it's I hate, I hate that so much. It's everything wrong with modern gaming. And yeah, I liked it. I played it a lot, but it is not Battlefront 2 classic at all. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe one day, let's see. That I think Battlefront 2 came out in what, 2015? Maybe something like that, 2017? Yeah, the first Battlefront game came out in 2015, and then the Battlefront 2 dice game came out in 2017. Okay. So maybe, maybe 17 years from then, maybe in the early 2030s, uh, two 20 somethings will be yearning for the, uh, the halcyon days of, <laughs> of EA dice star Wars battlefront. But I don't think that it's going to be the case, unfortunately. Yeah. Unless games literally start stealing your blood for playing them. I don't think I'm going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I understand that like the environment of games have changed. And this is a game that I played when I was nine years old, when I was at my peak love of Star Wars, and I'm probably putting a lot onto it. But this is the degree of competency in realizing how fun it is to play a game and depicting like the stuff that you love in a series and the aesthetics of it. It's just so much more well-realized in the, the classic game than in the new one, even though like the visuals are just much better in the newer games. It's about the spirit and essence of an experience and how that factors into the actual act of playing something versus just like something looking good on the surface and having a fairly hollow experience, relatively speaking. Yeah. This is as good a time as any to bring up the second phase I had with this game because there was the first phase that I had, which was when I was a kid playing this with my brothers. And then there was 
Star Wars The Force Awakens is coming out, and this is probably going to be one of the most important periods of my life sort of things. And this is, you know, pre-me being cynical about media. I was 19 years old, a sophomore in college. Me and my best friends were so stoked about, like, The Force Awakens that we were just, like, doing as much Star Wars stuff with each other as we could. And that included, like me having the idea of us all downloading and playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 again on uh, laptops. My friend, one of them in college, uh, he figured out how to mod these games. And like there was a bunch of like dedicated mods that <laughs> added new maps based off of uh, arcs in the Clone Wars, added new hero characters to play on these maps, uh, changed the skins and everything, uh, added in maps that were in the original Battlefront 1, all sorts of things. And that sort of gave me a new new found appreciation of like the architecture of this gameplay and also just a new way of appreciating star wars while i was just hyping up this movie to come out for months and months at the time star wars the force awakens delivered like i see like the uh through the illusion of jj abrams a little bit more now but i still can see that i like the force awakens and i don't dislike it at all i see how cynical it definitely is in a lot of ways but i, I still like it but at that time like that feeling that i had just going into the force awakens and playing this game and experiencing all of it through this game that meant so much to me as a kid that experience was just like wow yeah no i i love hearing that i've never played any of the mods for this mm -hmm. are they are they good like are the new levels like was there is there like a certain ineffable quality to the originals that they couldn't quite capture or like should i look into modding uh, <laughs> Battlefront 2 because they do own it on Steam. Uh, I mean, you can try and mod it if you want to, if something like sticks out to you. But my experience with it is like, it, it's a lot more fun in theory than in practice. Like the idea of, hey, here is like a faithful recreation of uh, a battle in Star Wars, the Clone Wars. And like realizing like, yeah, there's a reason why like that doesn't translate into an interactive medium, the actual like map of everything. So it is a little... It's definitely not the degree of polish that you would get from like developers working in an engine and delivering 24 maps that they play tested uh, in a professional setting. There's definitely like a novelty of like, hey, they put Kit Fisto in this game. <laughs> I like Kit Fisto. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, like any once you get past once you get down past Mace Windu in terms of screen time, it's just kind of all vibe. Like if you like a Jedi and Kit Fisto's got a great vibe. Yeah, it was a disappointing thing as a kid, because uh, like the first map you play in like the campaign is my Guido. And that's like, and then here is your first Jedi you get to play as Kiati Bundy. And I'm like, him, the, the conehead guy who right, the guy with a heart in his head, which is the official canonical reason for why his head looks like that. Who gives a fuck about Kiati <laughs> Bundy? You have so many other cool characters on the council or just like random Jedi out there in general. You have Shock T, you have Kit Fisto, and you give me him because like you just wanted to like use some footage from Revenge, like 10 seconds of footage from <laughs> Revenge of the Sith and then put it into this game. <laughs> Right. Well, that's what like I love about um <laughs> about the campaign of this game, which I don't think is particularly good. Okay, let's let's get into that. What are some things that like we always talk about like things that uh, you wish this game did better. So let's 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 fold that into like the that question and what you're about to say. Yeah. So I won't even say I wish it did it better because like I truly have not cared for the last 17 years that this game has been on my radar. But I mean, so one thing is 
that that I like, or at least I find to be kind of cute, is how all of the little cutscenes leading into the various battles are just kind of taken from the Order 66 montage. <laughs> but they can't do it just yet. So they build these missions around that about around these like six seconds of footage, which is like cool. So I guess I guess the thing that I would say either I wish it did better. I mean, I guess I could say I wish it did it better. I wish the campaign was better because the campaign always kind of feels like we took the arena from multiplayer and cut it in half. And the the third mission where you're playing is Isla Sekiro on Felucia, which a uh, shout out to George Lucas, uh, his incredibly obvious naming conventions um, <laughs> that in a, that in a movie in 2005 that is coming out that is against uh, Bush era fascism, one of the battlegrounds is called Felucia. <laughs> very subtle, George, very subtle. Um, although it is very lush and verdant and not um, a desert. So fair enough. Um, but when you're playing that level as I, I believe it's Ayla Sekiro is her name. Yeah. Yes, Am I making yeah. that up? Yeah. Um, you're just killing all of the Ackley and it's like, it's kind of bad. Like it's kind of stupid. Oh, I hate those accolades so much. They give me nightmares. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, it's just not particularly inspired, but there's a reason we are however far along into this recording, I think over two hours in at this point and uh, are just now breaking up the campaign because the multiplayer or the instant action or the galactic conquest modes are like that arena, that war feeling that you were talking about earlier is more than enough to sustain hundreds of hours of gameplay that like the fact that this has a pretty poorly tacked on campaign i don't even care yeah like it doesn't bother me because it would because in all of these years i've never yearned for a campaign that's the thing like the the number of hours i've gotten with my friends like you touched on the galactic conquest thing and i can't believe i forgot to bring this up there's a whole mode in this game that is basically risk star wars version you can call create this thing called Galactic Conquest, and it's like two opposing uh, factions, be it the Empire or the the Rebels or the uh, CIS and the clones. Which, like, holy shit, CIS now in twenty twenty three as a <laughs> as the name of an adversary. Anyway, yeah. Every time it's like you have to go blow up. Uh, you have to go blow up the Sis. Uh, <laughs> Get out of here, Sis scum. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's. I'm all for it. My other thing, like, sorry, side note, like, who the fuck would pick the Confederacy uh, over the clones in any multiplayer fashion? Yeah, let's just do the Empire versus the Rebels. That That's more sustainable for Galactic Conquest because you have to do it for hours and hours because this game yeah. of Risk is like you have to, like, take over uh, these planets and then fight on the maps. And then, like, you use the bonus points that you've accrued over play to get something of an edge over battle. Whether that's like, oh, here is uh, the ability to use a hero on this map, or hey, here's some regenerative health for your soldiers, something that can give you competitive edge. And like, you could just do a, a, comp- a competitive match of Galactic Conquest and try to take over these maps. It could take you days <laughs> if you like have someone who is really into it. You have to save the game and come back to it. And then, like, if you're if you're like cruisers intersect, you have to do space battles and it's so cool. And I just love it so much. And why don't games just do something that buck wild anymore? No. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it was always really fun. I certainly never finished 
a galactic conquest against a friend for the reason that you are bringing it up. But it was always really fun to do it cooperatively. And like, it was pretty easy because like, if you have two to four people playing (laughs) on the same team in Battlefront, it was pretty easy. But like, that was always fun to just like, to just go through and be like, we're going to just beat butt boop around the galaxy, just uh, doing whatever battle pops up wherever, wherever my enemy lands or wherever I land, we're just going to play there. And it was basically just a way to mix up instant action for me. But yeah, um, that that risk element that you're talking about where it just takes so fucking long mm-hmm. and you don't care because that arena is just like the gameplay in those arenas is beyond enough to warrant sitting down and dedicating hours of your life to this game. Yeah, so much of my life has been spent in Galactic Conquest. Like, holy shit. And another thing, I just another thing video games don't do anymore is just having an instant action mode. Like you were talking about, like queuing up like 15, 20, whatever uh, maps and just playing them in succession to what end to no end just to have fun. You don't have to have an excuse. Like, what is the reward for playing this game leveling up? No, it's you get to play on fucking Tatooine or Camino or Felucia. Uh, not probably not on Felucia, probably not on Jabba's Palace as much as the other maps, but like on Hoth, those games, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just remember like my friends and I, we would just go through and I, I don't even remember which ones we liked and which ones we didn't, but we would just like do all the maps we liked and we would just like, and every like three or four we'd throw in a space battle and we would just pick the ones that we liked and would just play like 10 rounds in a row. And that was just Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> the way we, we would did. always do is we queue up like eight or nine of them. Like, like you said, like throw in a space, <laughs> throw in a space battle in there. Uh, a little it's not unusual with your what's new pussycats or whatever and then like at the very end you would do um the hero battle mode oh yes which was its own thing because for those unfamiliar it is the mode where we talked about these heroes who are all busted ass broken characters now every single character on the map is a hero and it's heroes versus villains and (laughs) you have Darth Maul doing backflips 80 feet in the air and Darth Vader just hovering across the map and everybody's just using all the most busted ass powers in the game on each other. And it is a delight. You can only play on one map. You can only play to Moss Eisley, which was always like, it always felt like a missed opportunity, but I guess now I just appreciate that more because the, the, the joy of the heroes map is also just like, you get to hear the songs that don't normally play in a battle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like you're hearing all of the, uh, the music that the jizz players would play <laughs> in the cantina or the music that would play in Jabba's palace from that uh, awful musical scene that they added in the special editions of Return of the Jedi. But you don't care because it's goofy and you're just blasting people with Boba Fett and the Emperor has a lightsaber that he's stabbing people with. 100, 200, 300. You guys are going to make me rich. I don't know. I don't think I've been so glowing I mean, obviously i've talked about games that i love to death but i think the way that we talk about this game specifically it just feels so not uncritical because like we gestured at like some structural issues with the campaign like you said like the fact that like the first few missions it's just like you're playing the last moments of a jedi's life before they're killed um is is kind of funny and a little whack but i don't know like the legacy of this game is so weird because like no game has necessarily tried to be like it 
and it is so singular and it just came out in our lives in such a specific time where we were just less critical and able to enjoy Star Wars in a different way than we are now. Yeah, and I would I would be very interested to see if there is like a and I don't know. Uh, one of one of the things that I always kind of like to center my criticism around is like what is this trying to do? And it's one of the reasons like we alluded to it way long ago at the beginning of this podcast, which is like when people say aliens is a bad movie. It's like what what scale are you grading this thing on? <laughs> this movie is telling you what it is trying to do and it is doing it flawlessly. And so like I would be interested to see what like a well-considered kind of like takedown cuz you know, anybody can be like, "Oh, this game is stupid. This game is like bad." Like whatever. Like anybody can just like shut on a thing. But like I would be very interested to see if somebody like has a opinion on why they don't like this game, like a like a thought out one because I mean, this game sets out to be a really intense, fast-paced Star Wars shooter where you get to be overwhelmed by these giant battles. And I just feel like it does pull it off in spades. Like, it's simple, but it's not trying to be anything but. Yeah. Like, I can definitely see some criticism to be had about the space battles just because, like, they aren't as fun as the infantry battles and i think it's easier to get overwhelmed if you're playing against a person who knows what they're doing a little bit more but i still like the space battles because again there's nothing that quite replicates what what it would be like to get into one of these all-out space wars in uh star wars and the feeling of getting into somebody's hangar and getting out uh, a time bomb and throwing it on their machinery and destroying um, their ships from the inside God, I I love that so much. Yeah, it is so much fun. Like I played a space battle today before like we logged on and I was like, is this the same exact space battle I have played every time I've ever tried to play a space <laughs> battle for the last 15 years or however long it's been? Yeah, yeah, 100%. This is the same exact formula. All the space battles are the same. It's just what are the skins your characters are using and which planet, like which, you know, which JPEG of a planet did it did it load? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But do I care? No, because it's so much fun to get in a ship and like just peel out of a hangar and fly into an enemy ship as a as a marine and just like mow down a bunch of droids and start throwing grenades at like you know. It's such a simple, unique feeling that's not too hard, but it isn't easy. So there is a sense of satisfaction of like I made it into the enemy hangar and blew up all their shit. And I don't know. It's it's it is very very simple, but it is simple as what it aims for. So, like, who am I to who am I to dock it? Yeah, no. Like, you can make an argument that like the actual act of like fighting other enemy ships in the actual space stuff is not the best. It's not the best version of it in any Star Wars game. I would even argue that some of the ship battle stuff in the newer Battlefront Two is a bit more refined in gameplay than the the ships than the tie fighter versus x-wing stuff in a battlefront 2 classic but the x factor is the fact that you can land your ship in the enemy base get out of it and then again blow their shit up from the inside or just blast (laughs) their other people while they're trying to get into the ships that is the the unique thing that makes this game stand out from every other dog fighting thing than in the rest of Star Wars media or just like any other, uh, you know, aircraft versus aircraft thing in a video game. hundred percent agree. No other game has implemented that nearly as well. And that's 
God damn it. It's it's such a fuck you to your friend too, which Mm -hmm. is like, that's the goal of the game is to like the, the easiest way to win is to get in there and do that. So like, that's what everybody's trying to do. But when you pull it off successfully, like, Oh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, man. So this is always a question I want to ask at the end here. How do you think this game impacted you in general? Uh, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing, right? It's like, did I did I gravitate towards this game because I like super fast paced, really fun, ridiculous ass multiplayer experiences with my friends? Or do I like those things because of Star Wars Battlefront 2? And I mean, I do think in a weird way, like, like you said, it's like, are we talking about this kind of uncritically? I don't think so. Like we're there's a little bit there. I do think it has made me more critical of a lot of other Star Wars stuff, because this is kind of the Holy Grail. But I will say, I will say, uh, this game did absolutely impact, um, impact me in that, like, it's the reason I have a PlayStation 4. It's not the reason, but the reason I finally bit the bullet and got a PlayStation 4 is it when Battlefront 2, the dice one came out and I was seeing the commercials and I'm like, ugh. I was like, I, 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 got, I gotta see, like, I gotta know. I gotta know what it's like. So I finally bit the bullet and got a PS4 with the, when it had the Battlefront bundle, which did take me, even though that game is on Xbox, the uh, the Xbox One, for whatever reason, just the, the PS4 bundle I, it got me to switch from Microsoft to Sony after two generations, so... Take down the traitor! So it certainly has impacted me. I don't know if it had any, like, major, insane impacts on my trajectory in terms of the media, because, I mean, it's a super fun, fast-paced Star Wars game. I was going to like that no matter what, but, um, yeah. Does that, does that answer the question? No, I'm, that's a great answer, and definitely a more thoughtful one than, like, you would expect out of a game that doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth, but is just very rich. Yes. I have a little story here. Um, I think I've told a version of it on this podcast before, but just to reiterate, when I was a kid, I did not know I had ADHD. This is a fact I found out about myself about two years ago now. Not knowing you have something doesn't mean that it doesn't impact your life every single day of it. Um, I played this game a lot with my brothers, and I wouldn't say like it was like a, to a detriment of my education as an elementary school student but it did like create this thing where it's like i i feared punishment so much uh that i would not show my mom like my grades because i did not want to have like restrictions put on my ability to play video games with my brothers on the weekends because we didn't get to do that kind of stuff during the weekdays that was like a weekend only activity and i valued that time so much with them and being able to play this game specifically with them on the weekends that like when we had to take home like our weekly reports that she had to sign off on that were like indicators of my behavior like hey is he organized is he turning his homework on time does he get this specific document signed those kinds of things that they grade you on for no reason in a uh, elementary school i wouldn't get her to sign that packet because like i kept perpetuating this famous cycle of adhd where you keep putting off a task and it escalate it snowballs the way you put yeah. it off so every week i'm still getting a u on a u was like the lowest grade that you could get on something it was like s was like exemplary and needs improvement u unsatisfactory or something like that i got to get into the lore of my elementary school to like really <laughs> fully tell this story but no i just kept getting a u on one specific thing which was like getting my uh work signed off on by my parents and since I did not show that document to them and I didn't want my mom to punish me for getting used week to week on a 
thing that didn't necessarily impact how well I was doing in school. I just kept hiding it because I just wanted to play Battlefront 2 every weekend. And the idea of not having that game time with my brothers was invaluable to me. So that's yeah. just, that's that I would say that's a spe- very specific impact this game made on my life. Well, that's actually a really, a really lovely story. And I mean, it's a thing that like, I mean, even shit that happens in high school to, to such a large degree, like feels so big then and then like as an adult you're like oh no that was stupid like i'm glad i'm glad you hid that from your mom so you can continue to play battlefront too yeah i think the right i think the smart thing to have done during that time would have been like hey not fall into that cycle but at the same time hey my mom wasn't asking about that even though there was a point in my life where she was signing that every week why didn't she ever ask for it (laughs) you know and you know my mom's a busy person i think we're all mentally ill and that's why we just like all kept falling into that hole but it's scarier because when you're a kid, you don't you're not able to leverage that information. But yeah, no, that's one impact this game had on me. I would say in like a broader taste sense, like I think for me, it gave me an unrealistic hope that other licensed games or games based off of a TV or film could be good when broadly they are not. Like we've touched on a few of them that are good in this episode. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of these are mainly exceptions to the rule. Because uh, most of everything made is not good. Movies, TV, video games especially. But knowing that like something I love like Star Wars could be so lovingly realized in that interactive space that it enhanced my love of Star Wars instead of like taking away from it. Like it wasn't just trying to capitalize on my love of Star Wars and I bought it because it had Star Wars on it and I played it because it had Star Wars on it. No, like it actually actively enhanced my love of star wars at the time that that that's an accomplishment that is an accomplishment that this game was able to do to a younger me so yeah yeah and i mean i'm glad i'm glad you bring that up because like i do think a lot of the dumb star wars minutia i picked up from this game like i know which planet my Guido is now i know which planet <laughs> Utapau is now like i know that that planet's called felucia with planets like it's very stupid, but like you asked at the top, just like, what is your relationship to Star Wars? And I'm like, like I know all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the really early places that like opened my eyes to like, oh, everything here has a name. Like every every one of these people has a name. Like they never say the CIS in the prequel trilogy, but I know that that's, you know, I know that that's what that faction is called. Mm-hmm. You know, they never say Utapau, I don't think, or maybe, maybe, maybe there's a one off line uh, somewhere in Revenge of the Sith, but it's like they don't, they don't harp on any of this stuff, but it's just like, you know, I had to know which map I liked. And so I learned the names of all these goddamn maps. Those two are maps in this game, and they are literally in Revenge of the Sith for maybe 10 seconds each. And then, like, the stuff that actually is in the movie, like, for, periods of time like uh, the yoda stuff on kashik and the uh mustafar stuff and the uh like you just like have like a better understanding of the architecture of those places because you spend so much time on these maps in uh battlefront 2 yeah. those are the things that enrich the prequels for us was playing the supplementary material like playing uh the the pod racer game or uh playing uh these maps in battlefront 2 that's what made the prequel so good to us in our eyes oh a hundred percent a hundred percent this is the way that that game made an impact on my life it enhanced my love of something that i would probably be a bit more critical of if i was just strictly watching the prequels and not experiencing them in a 
in an interactive sense and also reading all these supplementary books and watching the Gendy uh, Tartakovsky uh, Clone War series. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about this game before we uh, moved on to the end here? No, uh, I think I think we've pretty much covered it. Okay, yeah. I think uh, I'm ready to move on to the next section here, which is recommendations. Uh, what would you recommend to our listeners based on uh, your taste or based on the game we discussed this episode? That's a very good question. So this is kind of a cop-out, but I also have very fond memories of Star Wars Battlefront Two on PSP. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> because I remember being so blown away that they could fit this whole game on the PSP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like taking it to school and like playing it. Like I played this game on a console. Um, but but like let me think, a real answer. Um, I mean, look, if you are into if you're into any of this like Star Wars nerdy stuff, I would recommend um Fallen Order because like it's a totally different game, but it is one that gives me a bit of a sense and kind of like what you were talking about, like the supplementary love for the prequels. Um, I do get some of that, which I which I enjoy in that game because it's not something that's coming out the same time as the prequels marketing the prequels. It's like something that's like playing on that nostalgia a little bit. What else? I don't know. I think, I think I'll leave it there. I don't really know. Do you have any recommendations? I have three. Okay, great. So these first two are kind of diametrically opposed in a way, but I'm going to go for them anyway. The first one, uh, I just mentioned it a minute ago, Gendy Tartakovsky's Star Wars Clone Wars TV series that came out in 2003. Uh, it was a 2D animated Clone Wars series that aired on Cartoon Network as micro episodes that were like five minutes a piece. And then the third season was like actual full 15 minute episodes, but those were like five or six episodes. But the first two seasons were just like five minute little bits of uh, stories happening in uh, during the Clone Wars. So Gendy Tartakovsky, for those who don't know, he was the creator of Dexter's Laboratory and he was also the creator of Samurai Jack. So everything is animated uh, in Star Wars in like that Samurai Jack angular style. And God, I just that's that's what the Star Wars prequels are to me visually is his aesthetic uh, and the story of all of these like supplementary characters, not just Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars, uh, just having a mission that they're carrying out. Like the standouts in those seasons are like, Oh, here is an episode where the clones are having uh, a battle on Coruscant fighting droids. And there's just like a lot of cool explosions and there's very little dialogue and they're just being badasses, and it's so cool. And then there's another standout episode where it's a uh, Mace Windu taking on uh, an entire droid army single-handedly. And not only is he like using his lightsaber and his force powers, but he's doing straight up hand to hand combat and using that, uh, Vapod style that uh, the supplementary material always mentions, but he never actually gets to depict in uh, other media. And it's a cartoon. So it's like, has this like, it's nowhere near the grounded stuff that the original trilogy has. They're like insane high concept force powers and characters like making earthquakes and moving things around like in the force. Like it's insanely high level stuff that they can't depict in a live action setting. And that's why the cartoon is so good because it's highly entertaining and it's no longer, it was never really considered Canon. It was just kind of like a vaguely like, this is what happened between episode two and episode three. And the new also very good clone war series sort of made that the Canon instead. And I like that series a lot, but I highly recommend this. If you just want to watch something that's 
pretty short to watch all together, like maybe a couple hours total. And you just want to enjoy like that feeling of like watching Star Wars do those insane force moves that you can do in Star Wars Battlefront 2. Diametrically opposed to that is the super grounded new love of my life in Star Wars, Andor. I've mentioned this and recommended it before in the uh, Knights of the Old Republic episode, but holy shit, people, watch Andor. It is the best thing that's come out of Star Wars since The Last Jedi. It is so amazing to see Star Wars crawl out of that like everything needs to be a reference to something, everything needs to be building to something, and just seeing good television. It's it's great. We were talking about like how this game is like a war that you're watching and how people are disposable when they aren't the main characters of Star Wars. And I think that's something that this series Andor touches on because you see the impact a blaster bolt has on a normal human being and how it would vaporize and kill them instantly uh, being blasted by one. The things that are like trivial to a Jedi suddenly are like devastating to the commoner. And that makes the stakes of the series so much bigger when it's like you care about these people because you've, you've gotten to know them as characters and not as like gods or representations of fantastical ideas. So yeah, I highly recommend Andor if you want something on the more grounded end of Star Wars. Goofy cartoon stuff, grounded, gritty drama, and... Now for my pretentious recommendation. Oh yes, let's hear it. In Battlefront 2, you are not playing as a particular individual, but controlling various soldiers who die in these massive battles. Battleship Potemkin is a 1925 silent film produced in the Soviet Union. It is a tremendously important film, both in the context of film history and as a cultural artifact. Even as a silent film, it is powerful and moving, uh, with the Odessa step sequence being a tremendous achievement. Uh, the way that it is important in the context of film is that it is an early example of the montage. But what is so stirring about this film is like, yes, you can argue it is Soviet propaganda. That is for the purpose of its creation. But it is telling a story without a main character. And the perspective changes from like people on a ship to the commoners experiencing uh, being brutalized by, um, you know, agents of the czar or whatever, uh, his, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just a story about, you know, solidarity and camaraderie and how working together as a group to get something done is, you know, how you achieve an outcome. It's not about like the one great individual. It is about the power of accomplishing something as a unit. And despite this movie being a completely silent film, made almost a hundred years ago, <laughs> it is still very stirring. And I, I would highly recommend watching it if you can. I think I watched it on HBO Max. Yeah, check it out. It's very short. And if you have the time and just have nothing to watch on a particular day, it is very good. I have to say, if you would have given me a hundred guesses as to what you would recommend um, in the Star Wars Battlefront 2 episode, I do not think I would have landed on battleship potemkin but i love your your (laughs) reasoning why and i love the way you tie that in thank you um i always have to find a way to like i said this is a stealth film podcast that is about video games so have to put in like the 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 shit i've been watching in here somewhere anything else come to mind after hearing me talk for five minutes about stuff i recommend no, I mean, I love all that. Um, and I know that I have to watch Andor. I've started it twice and I've really liked it and I just keep falling off. Um, the only thing I will say is 
And a lot of people have probably uh, thought of this in the last like year or two, but I got to say, I was really stunned. Um, I read Dune for the first time just before the film came out. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really, really wonderfully uh, surprised by how much DNA it shares with Star Wars, or rather how much DNA Star Wars shares with it. Um, yeah. I was always so stunned when I was reading it. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the exact level of like space fantasy gobbledygook that like I like in that first Star Wars movie. Like, n- like this is all like nonsense in a really like fun, fantastic fantasy way. And I was really into it. So um, if you are a fan of Star of the original Star Wars and have not read Dune, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, unless you are like a weirdo who like, take star wars way too seriously if you if you're fun from the original star wars trilogy is that it is goofy and lover lovable and memorable like check out dune yeah no only check out dune if you're one of the good people if don't don't make yourself worse by making yourself addicted to something that's still cool to some people exactly exactly <laughs> or way too nerdy i don't know what what is cool i can't call dune cool necessarily but it is it's it's different from the way that people are treating star wars so i think i'm just grading yes. it on that curve God, the book Dune is such a page turner for me. Like it is absolutely gobbledygook, but it is so fascinating to see what gave George Lucas the brainworms that he gave an entire society. <laughs> correct. Like correct. it is the brainworms that beget the brainworms of <laughs> the rest of us. So definitely worth reading just on that metric alone, but it is a tremendous book and one that I love. I would consider it one of Kiefer's formative books like it's definitely on his mount rushmore alongside things like slaughterhouse five and uh frankenstein so yeah oh my god you just named you just named kiefer you we have we have very similar taste in literature kiefer um i'm glad you just (laughs) said those yeah that's uh everything i have for this episode caroline you are wonderful i cannot believe that uh cannot believe it took me so long to get you on the show but i really appreciate having you on and of course you're welcome back anytime before I let you go tonight, though, please promote the hell out of yourself. Yeah. So, um, I mean, thank you so much for having me. I mean, and literally any of those five games that we talked about in uh, that that I ranked, other than maybe Ocarina, I'm maybe a little like I love Ocarina of Time, and it's one of my favorite games of all time. But like, there are obsessives for that <laughs> game that somebody should be on that podcast above me. Um, but any of those other games, if you ever want to do them let me know yeah so i mean i'll just promote my podcast i am on twitter uh which is how i know Kiefer and most (laughs) of the other podcast folks all of the guests that have come on my podcast and all of the podcasts that i've guested on i have met through this cesspool of that is known as twitter but i feel like we found a cool little niche where we're found some cool like-minded people but I will point you to my podcast account, which is for the show, How Have You Not Seen? Um, you can find us on Twitter at H-H-Y-N-S-Pod. Um, and we are also on Instagram and TikTok at that same um, account. And then if you go to the Twitter, you'll find a link to me. But yeah, I would uh, if, if you guys uh, liked hearing my opinions on Star Wars, we're doing that over on Patreon right now. Um, and we have tons of episodes on the main feed um, as well. So go check that out. Um, each week, like I mentioned earlier, my co-host and I, uh, we alternate assigning the other one a movie that they haven't seen. And one of the things that I like about our show is we spend 10 to 15 minutes up top before we've watched the film. And we kind of get to grill each other on like, what do you know? 
sometimes we get some really unhinged answers out of the beginning of that episode uh, of each episode. So um, yeah, I, I'd love for you guys to, to check that out there. And from there, you can find all of my other bullshit. That's the main thing I, I, I have to plug. Absolutely. Thank you again for being on the show. And again, I got to recommend How Have You Not Seen? For those of you who have not had the pleasure of listening to this show, specifically the thing that you mentioned, Caroline, about like having that discussion ahead of watching the movie where where one of you has to guess what the movie is based on your knowledge of it. That is like my favorite part of the show because so much of podcasting or just broadcasting yourself on the internet is the confidence you have in the limited knowledge you do have or just the confidence you have in being completely wrong about something. I think that the the, the way that you are able to have a conversation about your ignorance of something and also have fun with it and then having that conversation afterwards I think that's great. And I'm, I'm glad that you both are comfortable enough to live in that space where you don't know something and then broadcast it and then interact with that within the podcast. So yeah, awesome stuff. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you like it. And that really is kind of how the, the whole idea came about is I was going down these rabbit holes of all of these different movie podcasts. And I was like, I love movies. I love podcasts. I'd love to do one, but like, I don't know shit. Like, you know, I'm listening to these podcasts of these people who have seen literally thousands of films. And I'm, you know, when we first when we first did the first iteration of it, I think it was like 22. And I was like, I haven't seen anything. And so that's kind of how we landed at the concept. It's like, well, what if we made a movie podcast about how we haven't seen enough movies? So like, it kind of shields us from that, like, you guys don't know what you're talking about thing. But it also is like, the whole point of the podcast is that like, we're nerds who want to know more about this shit. So we're just going to document us making each other watch things. And I, I really enjoy it. It's a really, it's a really fun time and more, more so than anything. It's just really nice, uh, especially in, you know, in the post COVID, like not post COVID, but in the, you know, the post there has been a pandemic world. <laughs> um, like just like sit down once a week and just make time to talk with people I really love and care about about something that is stupid but something we all love and care about so yeah if you like movies um and you want a somewhat decent uh recommendation or you just want to laugh at us for having not seen some of the films we had not seen please come on check it out and shoot me a message on twitter and let's connect yeah and another appealing thing about the show is that it is much shorter than my show. So <laughs> um, definitely check it out on that metric, too. They're very succinct in their discussions while also covering a lot of ground. So, Caroline, once again, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I'm your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show, and your feedback will help improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Star Wars Battlefront 2 Classic or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me at Danny Vegito and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for the show is made by my best friend Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Caroline's. All right. I think that's it. Just like the simulations.
Although I'm leaving, the Force will be with you. Always. Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more at moonshotpods.com.